When my landlord said rent could be cheaper if we were friends with benefits, you know, I'd heard of sexual harassment in the workplace, but at home? That is housing discrimination based on sex. I'm legally blind. A landlord recently said that he didn't think I'd be able to take care of an apartment on my own and refused to rent to me. That is also housing discrimination. A real estate agent said that we'd be more comfortable living in a different neighborhood with people like us. Luckily, we know our rights. It's illegal to steer prospective homeowners away from or to certain neighborhoods based on race or national origin. If you think you've been discriminated or have questions about your rights, contact the Fair Housing Foundation at 800-446-FAIR or also online at fhfca.org. Fair housing is your right. This is a public service message by the Fair Housing Foundation and supported by the Department of Housing and Urban Development under FHIP grant PEI FPEI 220099. Their hearts bloop bloop bloop. Oh, is that what that is? Bloop, bloop. That, but you want to know why my hearts are blooping? The uh, palpitations. Did you not take your bear today? Did you go for a, an unexpected jog? <laughs> did you eat one too many pastrami's at the <laughs> in the commissary today? Yeah. Did you accidentally eat a piece of bacon not knowing what it was, and now uh, you're worried that your dad knows? Did you go through a, a metal detector <laughs> in the airport, forgetting to rip out your pacemaker? <laughs> did you uh, put your phone in the wrong pocket that you usually put it in, and you thought you left it at the cafe, and you know you're not going to walk back, and the price of a phone's worrying you? <laughs> or did I see a really sexy skunk? <laughs> because that's what I was getting out. It's bloop bloop because it's the love month. Love- Right now, my hearts are blooping. Oh, you should, they, they warn you against that. They, you should probably have hit your life alert button if your heart starts blooping faster than usual. Help, I, my heart is blooped <laughs> and I can't stop making love. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's February, aka the, the love month. The love month, only one thing happens in February. <laughs> only one thing. Well, two things if you're lucky. Uh, the month ends early. Is that the second thing? <laughs> yeah. The first thing is the month hitting you. The second thing is the month hitting the floor. It's the most loving podcast on the air. That's it's right. L.A. Meekly with your love buddy, Daniel Bayer, sponsored this episode, Zafrin. And the Sultan of Seduction, Phantom. Um, <laughs> Phantom the Cat. And Greg's here too. Phantom the Eunuch. Uh, and oh, yeah. Greg the Gimp is here too. <laughs> Greg the human sex toy is here. <laughs> so this is LA Meekly, the one of one of the many, many Los Angeles history podcasts. There's so out many there. out there and they're all so consistent. And they're just hitting you with history, not just news. Oh, by the way, uh, Jose Weizar is going to go to jail for 13 years. Uh, no, but time served, it's probably going to be three weeks. I mean, a good behavior, it'll probably be three weeks. I mean, for a good guy like him. Yeah. Thank you for changing the city in, in irreparable ways. He'll pass by all of the other council members going into the jail That's as right. he's getting out of the jail. That's right. What's my mouth? What, do I sound Do I sound weird? Like You're my, extra... Whatever that word is, that's what you're extra. It's because I just drank a Coke Zero. You did. But it was weird. I didn't say this while we while I was drinking it. We're sponsored by Coke Zero. We're sponsored by Coke Zero and Bayer. Yeah. Um. And Bayer. The Bayer. The Bayer. <laughs> the Bayer. Yeah. I didn't say this about while well, I was uh, drinking it in front of uh, you and my wife. Uh huh. My wife. I didn't say it, but it it was weirdly flat. Well, that's weird. 
You won't let that happen. And not in your fridge. Not in my backyard. <laughs> I'm a real nif- nymphy. <laughs> Wait a minute. Love month. Yeah, I am a nymphy. Month. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Plop, Just plop, try plop, to stop me. Plop, 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 plop. <laughs> but yeah, that, uh, if my throat sounds a little syrupy or weird, yeah. syrupy or strange. Uh, your brain's for sure not right. I think you're blooping too much. I think I your do. heart's blooping. I think you should lie down for a while. I'm having a brain bloop. I think you should, uh, Do you smell Valentine's toast? <laughs> I smell burning roses. <laughs> what does that mean? It's a... Let me check the Bayer bottle. <laughs> it is... What's the date? 27 tonight? Date, something like that. I had to give you a peek behind the curtain. It's a very lovely warm night tonight. It's so hot. It's it's just like the love month. The love just month. like me during the love me month. Me and my pants in the love month. Um, <laughs> it's very American graffiti outside, and it makes me really miss recording in your uh, parking <laughs> the parking structure. When I, when I parked today, as I was pulling in there, I was like, for old time's sake, old why time's not? Sake. So on. people will think, so my neighbors will think I'm a homeless <laughs> recording a fake podcast. <laughs> well, one old time's sake. Just try to evict me. I'll burn this whole place down. That's not very love month. <laughs> Maybe I love fire. <laughs> yeah, you're not so much a pyromaniac as a pyro-nymphomaniac. <laughs> I'm watching your cat who is not completely laying down. His head is propped up. Close his eyes. Yeah. In well, absolute... I mean, exhaustion and boredom we're like five minutes into the show that's about the time when people start closing their eyes yeah, we are <laughs> we get it everyone's favorite sleepy time podcast ellie meekly well before we get into anything yes. we got to welcome in another new patron oh we have a bloop, new patron the telltale bloop is happening right now <laughs> And his bloops grew by three sizes. And then he died. <laughs> and his heart burst in his chest. Go ahead. His heart his heart blooped all over the who's. So we want to welcome in just one person this month. We have got Alex Ago. Alex Ago. And one person. And Alex Ago is a, takes up for 20 people. I'm yeah. so happy to have you aboard, Alex Ago. Thank you for subscribing to our Patreon. I can't wait to send you a postcard. Uh, back off of Alex Ago. Oh Alex Ago is mine. But also, it, we Alex Ago just joins. But it feels like Alex Ago that Alex joined, don't you think? Uh, that's very funny. Um, I've been waiting three weeks to say that. Uh, he, <laughs> I, I didn't hear bloops after I said it. Wait, what's that sound? Oh, he's unsubscribing. Now. That's what that's. It's so loud. He's in Connecticut. Plop. Plop. That's a reverse bloop. I love that you getting first dibs on all the new. Is so. Is the term prima nocta? Is that a term? Where did you do? Greg, did you read a dictionary this month? Is that your thing in the month? It was an Age of Ultron. <laughs> You wouldn't know. It's too highbrow for you. That's the uh, second Avengers movie. Yeah, it, I watch him no, for no, comfort. No, no, the way kids in the depression read Superman. <laughs> no, no, I, I get it. I, 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 uh, I watched that too, and I, I had a, I had a prima donna too. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that's what that is. What it is. I had a Porsche Madonna too. My favorite. That's my favorite ride. James Dean died in the Porsche Madonna. Well, you too can have a prima donna if you join our Patreon, just like Alex ago did. Go to patreoncom Glee for five dollars a month. You'll get a handwritten postcard every month not from greg on the first month from a different place around la and if you join at any level including that one this is why greg isn't going to be sending you your first postcard you're not ready for that that's because when you join you get a free la meekly official sticker sent by me officially i write all over it (laughs) so you don't even know it just looks like like black sharpie yeah it comes pre-stuck 
Yeah. You have to find it somewhere around the city. <laughs> if you can find it, then you're officially one of our Patreons. Yeah, we, we suck it on a city bus, find it. And that's all we're going to tell you. But on the most inappropriate part of the city bus, so when you try to peel it off, like it, the bus will turn around and slap you and say fresh. Yeah. <laughs> you need to like really get on your knees when people are on the bus to find it. So That's the, my favorite way to sit on the bus is on my knees. <laughs> you know, I think because it got hotter, I think the yeah. reason my voice... Sent, I think I have, I have... Have you heard of allergies? I think I've got like... I think I have wet mouth. You know the... I think I have Everglade mouth. Allergy shut up. I've got it. Uh, I gotta go get Claritin D every three weeks. They look at my ID. You're gonna tell me you have allergies? Oh, I didn't know we're sponsored by Claritin D also. <laughs> well, I'm scared. I'm sponsored by Claritin C. <laughs> C stands for crack. The C is for extra Claritin. <laughs> Claritin, Claritin. But this is just my new sultry love month voice. It's bloop, extra moist. Bloop, bloop. <laughs> I'm extra burpy. So before we do go any further, though, we have to talk about what we did in January. Our I thing of the month for January. To. I would love to. This month, I went to a 60 millimeter workshop that was held at the former Echo Park Film Center on Alvarado and Sunset, which is now the Heavy Manners Library, which is a really cool space. Heavy Manners Library? Heavy Manners Library. What goes on? What goes on in that part of town? I think that it's a library. No, I think it's it's a bookstore that also functions as a library. If I understand, what are the Heavy Manners? I don't get it. It's just the name of the place. <laughs> I thought it was a ska band, but that's yeah. bad manners. <laughs> but it's really cool. It's a really great space, and they have a fantastic collection of books there that you can either buy or check out. But they have, first of all, on display there, they have my favorite Spike Jones film, which is a skate video he did called Mouse. And I thought I'd never see that tape again. But anyways, that space used to be the Echo Park Film Center. And now they still allow the uh, people from there to come and hold workshops. So I went to a 60 millimeter workshop they have there that they're trying to do monthly. But I think it might be every four to five months whenever they could find time. But it was uh, it was really great. I have a Bolex and I like to oh, so I like to use it as a Bolex. <laughs> I, um, Take one for your heart. <laughs> You have to swallow all that metal, but it's great. And if you're a film fan and want to, or, or if you're an analog film enthusiast, I recommend taking that mm, workshop, learn yeah. how to use a camera. The word fan is only for digital film. <laughs> <laughs> it's for the fan that goes in each digital <laughs> device. And then they did an eco-processing. Play, they play a fan so that instead of the projector clicking, you hear <laughs> a fan that has a baseball card stuck to it. And they also, part of it was filming and learning how to use a Bolex the other half was an eco-processing thing where they taught you how to process the film using like homemade washes, I guess, like we used. Oh God, this sounds like a... It's very hippie are you some, It's a cult. Yeah, I was going to say, is this... I drank the Kool-Aid. Is this like a domestic terrorism camp or something that you're in? Yeah, <laughs> uh, we had a... It was a cave. I put a thing over my head. Um, it was really great. And I, I had a it's great time. in the time. basement of Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got spanked and asked which one of my, uh, my, my relatives is a president. <laughs> James you'll Taylor. Never, yeah, James never, Taylor. You'll never forget. Wait, James never, Taylor. <laughs> you said James Taylor twice. <laughs> uh, one more time, he might show up. Wait, who am I thinking of? Zachary. Linda Taylor. Ronstadt. Oh. <laughs> President Ronstadt. Yeah, I'm thinking of Carly Simon. <laughs> President, President Carly Simon. <laughs> the singer. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was in the basement of Harvard. Um, so my thing of the month is um, we my for our anniversary. Wow. My parent. I'm not bragging, but it happened four months ago. <laughs> but uh, my parents got us a zoo membership. Oh, cute! So we no, it's cool. Greg. It's cool. It's, it's actually cute. really cool. No, those animals aren't cute. They're hard as hell. And it's not just because the love month. I mean, maybe the flamingos are a little cute, but <laughs> I'm not talking. I'm not just talking about the rhino skin. They are hard as hell. <laughs> yeah, the flamingo. Okay, and okay, the meerkats. Yeah, but- sure. Uh, and my my hall pass is a flamingo. <laughs> My hall pass is five flamingos, <laughs> five flamingos and a giraffe. Yeah, sure. 
everything that has a long neck, I think. <laughs> but so we've been going because we had some a lot of weekdays free lately. Uh-huh. And we had been going a few times during a weekday morning. That's the only way to go to the zoo. Oh, yeah. There is nobody there except you. You and a tiger. <laughs> and they let them walk around yeah. because no one else is there. And like, this is an after hours thing. The handlers aren't even there. <laughs> How did you get out? <laughs> the person taking your ticket. It's a cassowary, Greg. A cassowary. <laughs> and when the chimps throw feces, you could eat as much as you want. They there's won't no stop one. You. Yeah, there's no one to share it with. There's nobody you there could to eat stop as you. much animal feces as you could fit in your mouth. So, like, you get like the animals are more awake, uh-huh. and they're also like every single person who's there to feed the animals oh, is cool. like putting on a show for you. Yeah, that's because great. you're the only one there. So, like, we were watching like a, a baby tamandua eat. A bug smoothie that the lady like shoved in our face and was and she was like bug smoothie, warm, and <laughs> and she, and you were immediately like I'm very hungry right now. I am very hungry. My name is Daniel Seffer and I'm very hungry right now. Which cafe do they sell this at? Do they sell it at like the stand? <laughs> do you get to pick the bugs or is it pre-picked? By the way, they do sell Dole Whips there apparently. Oh really? Uh, like copyright protected Dole Whips. Wow, you know your boy your boy will f up a Dole Whip. But yeah, they, I think that uh, I think going to the zoo on a weekday morning is a great time to go to the zoo. You're gonna you're gonna have a wonderful experience with nobody around you. It's just you, and you're gonna turn to your left and talk to the the docent. Guess what? It's a gazelle. <laughs> You got to keep up with them, though. They're very fast. When you're hopping around the zoo, just know that the person you're hopping with, eh, you might be a docent. You might be a gazelle. And docents, they're in the pens now. because Everything's wacky and upside down. It's upside down backwards day. And if your buttons are in the front of your shirt, you're doing it wrong. And if your feces doesn't come out in little pellets, you're out of there, buddy. Get Take it back to the archery. And if kids don't open your feces up and find little rat bones in there, what are you doing? Again, take it to the archery. <laughs> With the things they found in Gene Autry's pellets after he died. In his stomach cavity when he died. Rat bones. John Wayne's hat. Um, <laughs> Reindeer bones. They found them in him. So that's my thing of the month. Zoo during the morning. Zoo during the morning. It's, it's wonderful. If you're unemployed, if zoo you're during unemployed, the morning. If you're temporarily unemployed, <laughs> go to the zoo in the morning. If you're really sad and unemployed and have a zoo membership that your parents got you for your anniversary. Oh, I'm sad and employed. Darn it. <laughs> See, that's, that's the, the bad one. You know, the sad unemployed people and the happy employed people get all the benefits yeah. in the world. But the sad employed people are all they're being squeezed out of this world. There's no room for us. <laughs> My parents told me I would never be happy eating avocado toast all the time. <laughs> So uh, this house I could have had was really good. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow's avocado test. I'll buy a house. Now let's one more thing before we do get into the actual episode. So for the next episode, you know what we're doing. We are going to be discussing L.A. documentaries, documentaries about L.A., around L.A. I have several in mind already, but I want to hear anybody's recommendations for stuff we might have not thought about. Yeah. And, we'll give a free year of sandwiches at Ike's to the first hundred people that recommend LA plays itself. I was just about to say, <laughs> God damn it. No, you missed it. Sorry. If you're, if you're hearing this now, they already wrote in. Yeah. You missed it. You're, yeah. Just don't even bother. We know. We know they're going to ask us to prove it. And then we can't <laughs> wait to buy a hundred people sandwiches. Um, <laughs> if you have any recommendations, let us know. And uh, Hey, maybe they'll fit. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll squeeze, we'll squeeze it, in. it in. Okay. Let's get to the, we, yes. we've faffed around enough. So Greg, what are we doing this love month? You tell me. Oh, and keep in mind, bloop, bloop. Oh, wait. Someone just 
slid a note under the door. Oh my Hold god! On. Let me open it. Hold on. You're being evicted for not recording in the in the, <laughs> in the parking park. space, and it's written in newspaper clippings. Stop pretending to have a podcast in here. If you don't stop pretending to have a podcast in here, you leave $10,000 in the bushes. <laughs> signed, yours truly. <laughs> yours truly signed sincerely. <laughs> that's his pen. That's the pen, <laughs> how, how, that's the pen name of my landlord, sincerely. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about kidnappings. Because I was trying to write a thing about kidnappings <laughs> and I gave up on it. But in the meantime, I read about a kidnapping. And what greater form of love and affection is there than kidnapping somebody? Taking a person against their will, leg- uh, illegally. Legally. Legally. Illegal kidnapping. Illegal kidnapping. Yeah, we were talking about kidnappings because I had just for Christmas watched the Dean Martin Christmas special, which reminded me of a kidnapping right. you'll get into. Right. And I thought, you know what? I, I, I want to think about this a little more because I, I know we had a lot. And I was thinking of Patty Hearst. Patty Hearst actually was abducted in Berkeley, as you reminded me, and brought to L.A. And it's not the same thing. And then after we agreed on it, realizing that we had covered four of the biggest kidnapping cases already. Which ones do? Okay, so we covered Getty. The, get, oh, my God. I forgot about that. Getty's son I got kidnapped. That. Amy McF- uh, simple. Right, she self kidnapped. She self kidnapped and said that the KKK took her. KKK took my baby away. KKK took myself away. Yeah, and then there was another one that was really. There was the one. Oh, where- Marion Parker is the third. Marion Parker. Yeah, yeah, that's the third one. Is there another one that you're thinking of? I was. I was going to say, oh, the one where they uh, dismembered or mutilated that little girl. And that's then, the one. And then you said it by name. <laughs> uh, you found the the less gross way to bring it up. <laughs> but the, the thing with Patty Hearst though is that it's not that she was kidnapped outside of LA. Like nothing happened with her in LA though. Yeah, that's like what, all of the things happened in like Berkeley or yeah, whatever. Yeah, which is LA North in my opinion. We could have used a, a passport to a passport episode. <laughs> I, I I don't know which one you went with actually is it marion parker it's marion parker have you heard of her uh we brought her up like 50 times on this podcast and then we did one with Alec, not so confidential who did a really good episode on her no free plugs no free plugs but they're a great podcast you should listen to them yeah well i kidnapped the host uh, <laughs> once or twice they went willingly but as a little wink wink pretend you don't like this and we took them to subway and they like quiznos so they called it real catnapping and we got uh we got five yeah we catnipped them we catnipped. <laughs> some people get kidnapped some people get catfished you we catnip <laughs> you never know which one's gonna be until you're in the trunk which is where we keep all the catnip. <laughs> because there's scratching posts in there. It's really fun for you. So this one is very not well known. Interesting. It's kind of bonkers. So let's Mary, get Mary started. Parker. Yeah, it's Mary Parker. <laughs> it's Patty Hearst. I was just so interested. On the evening of February 5th, 1933. Ooh, this is an old one. Yeah. 65-year-old Mary Bosworth Skeel received an anonymous telephone call informing her that her husband, Walter, who was the dean of College of Music at USC, had been in a terrible accident and now was being taken to Northside Emergency Hospital to be operated on. She was told that a car was being sent to her at her home at 136 South Avenue 55 in Highland Park to drive her to the hospital to be at her husband's side. Oh man, this is a double misdirect of kidnapping or just a misdirect. You confused me twice is what I'm saying. (laughs) So she agreed to this, called her son Franklin and informed him what happened. As she was telling him, she saw the car pull up. Soon after a man rang Mrs. Skeel's doorbell, she followed him to the car and found a woman behind the wheel. So she got into the car and sat next to the woman, and the man got in behind her, sandwiching the 65-year-old woman between them. That's when the car drove off. But they weren't heading to the hospital. <laughs> Mr. Skeel had not been in an accident. Mrs. Skeel was being kidnapped. She would learn this at the end of the block when the car turned the opposite direction of the hospital. Behind her at her home, wedged between the screen door and the door frame, was a note that read, No Tricks. Dear sir, this is typed by the way, dear sir, after due consideration and planning, we have decided to adopt your 
wife in cut out words. The word wife isn't cut out. Isn't cut out. Is cut out. Only the word wife is cut out? Only the word wife is cut out from a magazine and placed there on a typed letter. Okay. That's the 30s. People didn't know how to do that yet. They were still learning how to handwrite calligraphy. (laughs) That that word hadn't been invented yet. (laughs) In handwriting. In handwriting. Until such time as you see fit to release her or take her in payment for the bill. We feel that it is not a great hardship to you, and that is the reason we are taking this means of getting the money. You no doubt consider your wife, cut out word, (laughs) it's a cut off word again, is worth more, but to us, she is just another one. And although we want the money, we can easily get rid of her. So if the money is not forthcoming, we will feel that she is not worth much. So it is up to you to follow these instructions and see that she is returned. Your movements and actions will tell of the impertinence of these matters, and we will judge from this as to what course for us to follow. We have planned every move for you as well as these for ourselves, and we do not want any false ones put in. Each move of yours will be watched closely, and if you make one false move or word, it'll be just bad for yourself and wife. Cut out word. So this is a classic situation of take my wife, please Please. don't. (laughs) Yes, this is it. This is comedy gold. I mean, I'm laughing already. <laughs> so if you want her back, please see that you do as instructed. You know others have tried to be slick and let the officers know, but they have always paid off in flowers afterwards. I love that. That mean, uh She's going to be a florist. Oh. Uh, they're taking her to horticulture school. I'll send her and make her take classes. Even though she's more of, into woodworking. So use your good. The word good is also cut out. Judgment okay. and see we know. Is this just a, like a trailer for the good wife? And this is you caught me. Oh, you caught I knew me. It. The word "wife" and "good wife" it's cut out. <laughs> this episode also brought to you by the, the good, good wife, wife. Yeah. season uh, mystery. <laughs> mystery. Don't we look it up? It is strictly up to you. Ten thousand dollars in cash or the wife cut out word <laughs> pays the bill. This money must not be marked or the cereals taken. The police or any other person must not be notified. This money must be that in the denominations of 5, 10, 20 bills. None of these bills to be new, meaning freshly issued from the bank. The, uh, this is uh, this is a lot. Like This is for, uh, just as long as the uh, John Bonet Ramsey letter. But this is like... Oh, I could have done John Bonet Ramsey. You could have... You don't lay that much... Like the first note you leave is like, we've taken your... Wife. wife yeah and then later you get like this is ever like this is like the user's manual of how of so your wife has been kidnapped yeah <laughs> this is like oh we got to use a dime to call them later let's just put all the information in one note it's, it's more, more cost, cost effective. effective yeah it's more cost effective that way uh, and those words are cut out <laughs> place this money in the box for delivery no dummy packages go we will hold her until we know that you have released these instructions if we see or hear or notice anyone else in this case besides you alone we will consider that you have failed to meet our requirements and we will follow our own course. Oh, I love this. Be very careful and all will be okay. Otherwise, things will be KO. <laughs> That's some solid wordplay. We do not want any delay in this matter and we are giving you just enough time to do these things. So use every moment and see that you are on time or else and else that you follow. This They wrote it weird. It's not me. Uh, <laughs> follow every move in word. This is word for word. Yeah, word for word because they're kind of loony. Follow every move and word as directed herein. We will accept no excuses or any false moves. You will be protected for this delivery of money, but we also warn you that there should be is no the, monkey business. This Please. note is still... I would I would have stopped reading 10 pages ago. This is literally... It's printed on the Star Wars scroll. <laughs> in the crawl, the opening yeah. credits. There's a projector in yeah. front of there. <laughs> in the front lawn. What's that word? It's getting small. Oh, I lost it. <laughs> a long time ago in the year 1933. <laughs> Please govern yourself accordingly. Is that's, it still going? That's okay, the end. Of the that's note. the end. <laughs> that's probably what he said. Is He's that looking, the end? Where's the? Uh, 
You know, it didn't stick the landing, really. Chapter two. God damn it. <laughs> he goes to his neighbor who's also been kidnapped. He has the rest. Halfway through, though, he, he treats himself to a little snack. Just treat yourself. Intermission. Intermission, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it said at the end of the uh, intermission. Make sure to drink water. Um, <laughs> A rock will be flying through your window in about 15 minutes. Uh, her son Franklin got in his car and sped to the hospital, only to find that no patient fitting his father's description had been admitted. He then called the family's church where his father answered the phone. And there, the two of them became suspicious that something had gone amiss and called the police to meet them at their home where both parties found the ransom note demanding $10,000 by 5.30 the following day at the designated spot on Montecito Drive in Highland Park or else Mrs. Skeel would die a painful death. Uh, do you know what spot it is exactly? I have the address, okay. but I looked it up and I, I, I have to drive up there. I don't know. Because I have a spot also that I went to great lengths. Really? Like, I want to know exactly where this spot is. Yeah. But do, are we going to get an answer of why they cut out those words? Yeah. Okay, good. Upon a further investigation, the police learned that Dr. Skeel's name on the ransom note had come from a page in the College of Music yearbook, which had been mailed to a limited number of subscribers the previous week. The kidnappers are someone familiar with the professor through the school. Mrs. Skeel herself had been active in campus affairs and was possibly known to her abductors. Hmm. What police would later learn is that Mrs. Skeel was not the original target. Okay. So to this, we're going to cut to Isabel Smith of Pasadena. On January 27th, which was, what, a week uh, before? Yeah, a week before, which is today's day. Today is wow, well I didn't recording. notice that. Wow. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, also. A spicy meeple? There's something at the door. Could you? Uh, <laughs> Could you do you mind getting it? Yeah. Your car's been in a terrible accident. <laughs> Somebody knocked all the basil growing in, your, in your, <laughs> the back of your truck all over the floor. It's mint. And the raccoons ate it already. And it's fall. You're going to have to go to Osh. Kosh I was going to say Kosh Pagash, but then I realized the place is just called Osh. <laughs> Osh costs a lot. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. So on January 27th, which is 101 years ago today. That is crazy. Wait. No. Uh, 90, no. 1933? Oh, yeah, oh yeah, God. sorry. Okay, Ni- yeah, 90. No, it's, 19, it's 2034 right now. 2034, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> uh, 91 years ago. I don't know how to do math. Let's just say it's 2033 and say it's around 100 years It'll ago. It'll always be 2033 in my heart. <laughs> You're right. Sorry, I'm an idiot. It's 91 years ago. Right. On That's January, so weird. The kidnappers had tried to abduct another woman, the daughter of a prominent Pasadena family. Her name, like I said, was Isabel Smith. First calling her over the phone saying, hi, this is Mr. Johnson from the church. We're planning on a surprise party for your mother and father, and we're putting together the committee meeting tonight, and we want you there. We'll pick you up later. And she was like, no, thank you. Not until you can prove who you are. So around 7 p.m., a mustachioed Mr. Johnson, quote unquote, (laughs) arrived at her home where he was greeted by the aunt, uh, Mrs. Smith's aunt. Mrs. Wolf, that's what it is. And since he was there in the flesh, Isabel Smith and her aunt, Miss Wolf, decided to go with this strange man. He led them outside to a parked car where there was a woman in the driver's seat. The woman asked, is that Mrs. Johnson? And the man said yes, as the woman hid her face in her, the fur of her jacket. It was wet out, somewhere between misty and drizzling, and the moisture loosened the grip of the man's fake mustache just as he <laughs> opened the backseat of the, for the ladies. The woman called him out on it and returned inside the seat as the car sped away. Oh my god. <laughs> so at this point you realize that these people aren't very good at what they're okay. doing. So wait, this wasn't the same night. This was a different This was night. a week earlier. Okay. I mean, th- we've all had that happen to us when we're trying to abduct somebody and our fake mustache comes off. It's a human experience. <laughs> it's a universal mistake, folly. It's a universal folly. So the woman called the police and police suspected that this was a plan made and followed through by a gang which someone involved with a church or university or possibly both. The Skeels and the Smith both knew each other. The paper said that they were close friends and they ran in the same circles. Same church, same university. So whoever's who's trying to abduct Miss Smith and took Miss Skeel is someone in this realm. 
don't, uh, don't they say that usually an abduction, a kidnapping is done by somebody from you're familiar with or, or yeah, something or it, someone in your more than likely someone that you're familiar with and you uh, know. Well, that you interesting, yeah, interesting, hmm. interesting. Uh, huh. I think she kidnapped herself. <laughs> Even more interesting was that Isabel Smith was once a student of Walter Skeel. Okay. It was clear after hearing this and looking at the note that Isabel Smith was the first target after the job was botched. They did a second draft on the ransom note, pasting the word wife in large <laughs> font to cover up the words your daughter, girl, or child. That's pretty funny. I'm going to type this stuff again. So wait, so so they, what, they just like peeled the words off and were and saw that? Or yeah. like, how, that's how they- Yeah, they wondered, um, like you wondered why the word wife was the only one pasted. So they peeled one of them up and was like, oh, this is a second draft. Oh, they meant to take <laughs> They, they also went to, in case it was a son, they went to Boys Life magazine yeah. just in case. <laughs> All of the copies of- uh, Bridal gowns yeah. were follow through, yeah. All of the copies of Ant Monthly <laughs> were gone all over the city. Who bought them all? Oh, I ordered the wrong Ant Monthly. This one's about <laughs> bugs. I meant Aunt. Ant Monthly brought to you by National Geographic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's only for the it's only for the articles, Mom. By the next day, <laughs> police investigators began poking around trying to figure out who the man and woman were and who they were to the skills safely before the 5.30 drop-off. They wanted to try to figure it out before 5.30. <laughs> All they had was the instructions from the kidnappers. Follow a certain route to a hill atop Montecito Drive and there deposit a box containing $10,000 ransom. Put the money in that box, I mean placing the box beneath a tile at the end of a retaining wall. That's all they had to go on was these instructions. Okay. And that they, they were in the same realm as that. But later the next day, before 5.30... This is January 28th. Uh, this is February 6th. Oh, okay. The, uh, at, oh, wait, wait. At 5.30... Go ahead. Wait, so what happened January 27th? Not they tried the, to abduct... The fake, the wrong kidnapping happened. The first kidnapping happened. It The mustache fell off in the rain. Oh, they bailed. Oh, I thought that the wife kidnapping happened on mm, January no, 27th. No, ah, the, then why are we celebrating? We're celebrating a failed kidnapping? It all starts... At the fake... Talk to me again on February 5th, okay? So on um, February 6th, 5.30 is when the ransom is due. Montecito Drive on a hilltop on a tile at the retaining wall. Later the next day, though, before 5.30, the doorbell rang. Franklin answered it, and it was Mary Skeel returned safely, <laughs> except for some scratches and trauma. <laughs> you got a little trauma on you. <laughs> uh, Wipe that trauma off. Wait, so the money hadn't been dropped yet? Okay. It was much earlier than 5.30. Okay. It was I thought you said it was 4.30. It could have been 4.30. I don't actually oh, know okay. what time she made it back home. I was thinking, that's cutting it pretty... If, if I have a 5.30 deadline for a ransom, I'm probably going at like 5. Yeah. I'm getting it done early. Yeah. Just in case something Just in might... Case, in case she escapes. I'm, I'll be ready by 2. <laughs> and there'll be a lot of sitting around. Yeah. I just don't want to get caught in traffic on the way to my ransom drop-off. I don't want to get too involved with a movie and then miss it. So what happened? You tell me. Let's go backtrack to the day before. These dates, you're you're confusing me. Okay, so we're back to February 5th. Yes. Okay, I'm trying to... I, I've got my timeline straight. So Mrs. Gill gets in the car, and they make it to the end of the block. That's kind of where we left off. Right. The car went west instead of east, and Mrs. Skeel gets concerned and starts asking questions. Her abductors are quiet, so she gets more worked up until it becomes clear that something isn't right. So she starts screaming, and the man puts his hand over her mouth. She starts fighting back, so he gags the 65-year-old woman and throws a blanket over her head with a thread of chloroform, finally forcing her to calm down. I don't know how she did this because she was in the middle, which is weird, but she says that 
At some point, she felt the door handle. So when they came to a stop, she tried to jump out of the car. Maybe she's like reaching over. Maybe, but like the guy's like me. Yeah. Maybe he's like leaned somewhere forward and she's like, I'm going to put my arm around you. (laughs) Oh, that old trick. Yeah. But she she made it like one foot out the door, one foot planted on the ground, but they pulled her back in. This is a flexible 65 year old lady. She's limber. If if they sandwiched her in, which I I remember hearing that that's how they did it, which makes sense. If I'm kidnapping someone, I'm not right. going to let them sit at the door. You got to go with the sandwich. You got to get sandwiches lady in. Well, I usually let them drive. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. After that, it kind of ate up all her energy. So she kind of just sat still. She was taken to a house first, entering the rear door, but they seemed to change their mind and walk back to the car, forcing her in again and then continue on. They drove about for about an hour and they arrived at another house and entered where three men were waiting. About 10 minutes into being there, she heard the clock strike 10 o'clock. So it's two hours later after okay. she's been abducted. She got abducted about... A little after eight. Okay, eight p.m. February fifth. That is now ten p.m. February fifth. This is a you are dragnetting this up. The date is February fifth. The time. All brought to you by Dragnet. Just a love, ma'am. Is that good? Is that? Do you like that? Just a peck on the cheek, ma'am. <laughs> she then had her hands and feet tied up, her mouth gagged, and cotton stuffed in her ears to keep what? her from hearing anything. Although that didn't really work, she can still hear a lot. Yeah, but have you had cotton stuff? Like, that doesn't, doesn't do anything. No. My ears will just absorb it. The earwax will <laughs> soak it up. I know. It's, that's going to turn into cotton uh, rubber balls by the time. Yeah. We're it's going to solidify. She could hear people talking, whispering. She heard a train in the distance, and she also heard the clicking of a revolver for more than an hour as someone was just mindlessly snapping the hammer on the empty <laughs> cylinder. Terrifying. I would be terrified if I knew what that <laughs> or they sound were playing was. Russian roulette, a real, the world's longest game of Russian roulette. Exactly. Uh, but truly we forgot to load it crap um, we've been playing this for two hours we, we've gone through 36 chambers and we're all still alive but truly they never intimidated her never talked about ransom as far as she could hear she was kidnapped and that scared her but other than the scratches on her face from her escape attempt no harm was afflicted on, on her and they never, never made any threats that they were going to hurt her when they took her gag out she screamed so they obviously had to put it back in <laughs> but when she was able to remark to her captors that she was exhausted and scared the woman who was at the wheel led her to the bedroom and allowed her to rest after throwing her after throwing her onto the bed um i kept picturing her like walking her up very calmly and then i read oh and then it threw her onto the bed dragging her by the yeah. hair okay you can rest now rest now or i'll beat you up i guess at some point this is weird i read i didn't this is not a well-known case, so there's no, like, ABC of the story. I read mm-hmm. it all in old newspaper articles, so it's kind of all over the place. But it seemed <laughs> that at some point she complained about being ill, so the kidnappers brought a physician in to see her. What? Yeah. What happened in the 30s? I don't know. It's just a, a crooked, like, in Better Call Saul, like, they right. brought a vet yeah, they in. Brought, they, brought the, they brought the traveling veterinarian came in. She's got rabies. <laughs> in the morning, she was given a light breakfast of toast and coffee and later got lunch. At breakfast, they told her that they would return her home so long as she didn't make a rumpus or relate any of the experiences to her husband or the authority. So by morning, they've already been like, okay, we're going to just take you home. And Mary was like, okie dokie. And then so the day passed and later two men blindfolded her, led her to the car. Spun her around. Spun her around 50 times. And then she had to pin the tail on the donkey. Pin the tail on the captor. Yeah. After about an hour's drive, took her to Avenue 50 in Figueroa in Highland Park, which was walking distance to their home. This was shortly before 8 p.m., and they took her blindfold and drove away. And she hadn't seen anything in like, you know, maybe like 12 hours or something. But, but, but what, like what? I'll get to it. Okay. So she walked home. At home, she f- found her incredibly relieved husband and son along with the police investigators. And at first thought, they, you know, they asked her questions and they thought her story was incomplete. I don't know how much of that was her wanting to follow the captor's wishes because they had let her go. So maybe like okay, in you, exchange. I think you're recapping 
the recent season of Fargo. Oh, you know, a lot of this came from a dream. <laughs> a dream I had after watching Fargo. Fargo, yeah. After I binge watched season five of Fargo. Which yeah. was perfect, by the way. Maybe the best season of Fargo so far. Well, and I which, love that show. Which of these characters had nipple rings, though? <laughs> tell me. Tell me now. So Mrs. Skeel took her shirt off, and you wouldn't believe it. Um, They found her story incomplete. They couldn't tell. You know, she, Maybe she was hesitant to speak about them because they had let her go. Or maybe she, it was like, I had just walked home from a traumatic event. Please give me like some time to process it. They didn't know. So police took her coat, shoes, and hat for evidence because <laughs> they li- it was such a good hat. <laughs> the police themselves had been busy and they had not, in the meantime, since she was gone, had not frittered the hours away. Somewhere in the note, I know not where, there was a mention in the instructions to leave the money somewhere on Montecito Drive in Highland Park. So the cops started hanging around there, probing the site where the handoff was supposed to take place. They found six suspicious characters hanging around and questioned them, but they could all prove that they didn't do anything. So they let them walk. And that's when they found the pasteboard carton, the box that they were supposed to leave the money in, as the instructions indicated. And inside, they found the tile and another note. Walk to your left across the street to the bank, like the, the bank of the hill. Uh, here will be oh, a, I, I, That's where I got my loans from, bank of the hill. When it, uh, you're too far to hit, but I'm thinking about it. <laughs> you're worth getting up and hitting. <laughs> that's why I got you one of those Looney Tunes yeah, uh, the, punch the, guns. The, the, the pun- <laughs> yeah, the, it's a trigger and a boxing glove. Here will be a box in a hole in bank with final instructions we like tricks but we prefer to keep them out of business what we like tricks but we prefer to keep them out of business meaning we like uh, we like tricks too but we like it when we're doing the tricks they said this in a note in a note why are they so playful and like flowery with their language no idea. what happened in the days of give money give now money kid dead yeah <laughs> kid question dead mark. question mark you like dead kid question mark son ear here <laughs> a notice bag so the officers continued about 75 feet away, found a Cracker Jack box with another oh note. Oh my God. Tie package thoroughly so this end of string and go on. This note had been weighed down by a small stone. Ignore person tugging string. Name Ishmael. <laughs> These people, it's like a Rube Goldberg of ransom <laughs> deposit. This note had been weighed down by a small stone which had been attached to a string. So the cops, of course, follow the string down the embankment to the lower side of the winding they, road. They pull it and then like five kidnappers. Five guys here. fall out of a tree. <laughs> ah, geez, boss. But it, no, it led nowhere except a place where the kidnappers, like a bush where the kidnappers were going to wait. They weren't there, so the cops decided to stake out instead. Hmm. But who's staking the stake out? Because oh, the kidnappers girls. were watching the cops snoop around the spot. And just as the cops were saying, oh, yeah, we don't know anything. The kidnappers were watching cops and thinking, oh, no, they know everything. And then they turned around. <laughs> yeah. And the watchmen and were there. And Mrs. Skeel was like, oh, no, they know everything, too. <laughs> it was at this point that the kidnappers decided to just bail on the scheme altogether. The cops, they know too much already because they found the spot that we told them to go to the spot to. Wait, so, okay, I want my dragnet timeline again on this. Okay. So this is after she had already come home. No, no, this I'm backtracking during. once again. Oh, okay, so this is, a, this so is we've got several timelines going yeah, here. Sorry, I wanted to make this as mysterious as possible. I wanted to Christopher Nolan this up a little bit. Yeah, enough. Wait, which parts of this are in black and white? True Detective Season 3, you know, we don't know what timeline you're in sometimes. <laughs> it's more like True Detective Season 2. Great and perfect. Does Greg have hair or is he bald? That's how we could tell the timelines apart is he fat and bald or kind of skinny and bald does he have the nipple piercings yet or not <laughs> oh it's just a butt piercing that closes the hole so the kidnappers see the cops snooping around the spot where they told them to go to which is so stupid and they're like we gotta let her go 
This is when they approach Mrs. Skeel, and that's when they let her know after probably around lunch or breakfast, they're going to let her go. Don't squeal on us and our awful plan. So that sounds like fun wordplay that they're up to. Mrs. Skeel, don't squeal. That's good. See that yeah. they if they had calmed down a little bit, they could have knocked that one out. So they sent her home that night, but police knew the spot could not be so random because there were houses nearby. Why not go to an abandoned lot on the outskirts of town, an industrial area where there's no loose eyes around? This hilltop on Montecito Drive was something. So police started probing the area and talking to neighbors, and many witnesses in the area reported two residents <laughs> acting suspiciously, which led to the home of Luella Pearl Hammer of 1195 Montecito Drive. Police started questioning her and they found a slip of paper in her purse. By the way, where's, the, where's your warrant? Uh, they found a slip of paper that <laughs> it's the was- the 30s. Not, yeah. They found a slip of paper- What's a warrant? They found a slip of paper that was not a search warrant that read, Mrs. Skeel, Miss Smith, Dr. Skeel, Franklin Skeel. When asked about this, the woman explained she wrote the names down after reading an account in the newspaper about the kidnapping. But Isabel Smith had not been in the paper. It had not. That story had not made its way into the newspaper at that point. Maybe because no one even suspected there was a connection yet. She was brought to Highland Park Police Station where they interrogated her. And at that point, they wrangled up her boyfriend, ex-con E.H. Dorn, who was identified by Mrs. Skeel as her abductor. The boyfriend was the abductor. Luella Hammer had been a former student of Dean Skeels at USC, which is why she had the yearbook, which is how she cut his name out, which is how she knew the Skeels. It was then that they found out that Luella also had another home in Pasadena, 623 Buckeye Street, four blocks from Isabel Smith's house. This was the second house. This one on Buckeye Street was where Mrs. Skeel was taken and held with evidence of, a, of her imprisonment all over the place, including pieces of string of beads that Mrs. Skeel wore, the tone of the chimes in the mantle that Mrs. Skeel could identify by sound because the cotton was nothing, and the texture of the- <laughs> And a room full of cotton balls. <laughs> and a photo of her that also had the address and a newspaper. No, the texture of a pair of lace window curtains that she could point out and remember. And also- Mrs. Skeel's fingerprints were on a soup can. The house is also two miles. Cook. The house is also two miles from the Santa Fe Railroad. Mm -hmm. Neighbors who also refer to Luella Hammer as the quote unquote mystery woman of the neighborhood had mentioned that for the last two weeks the blinds have been drawn and lights were only visible on the <laughs> rear part of the house. Luella Hammer had nothing left to do but confess. But but why? Are we going to get to the why? There really isn't one. Just money? Money. With that, the two were arrested for kidnapping Mrs. Skill with the hopes of getting a measly $10,000. For what? They didn't even, there's not they even. They were just poor in the 30s, in the beginning of the Depression. They just needed money. So they were like, who's rich and can afford it? But, okay, so the, okay, so they originally wanted this daughter. The daughter of, of a prominent family in Pasadena. And then th when that didn't work out, they said, well, how about my old music professor's His wife? wife? Yeah. So they were just going through like people they knew who they thought had money in yeah. the past. And who they can take and who would be a, probably a weak target. We, they can't <laughs> overpower us. This 20-something-year-old girl, this 65-year-old woman, they can't overpower us. We can keep them and we're not going to hurt them. They didn't hurt Mrs. Skeel. The only thing that can overpower me is my spirit gum mustache. The only thing that, that overpowered me is the sight of the cops whittling away. E.H. Doran tried to let his sweetheart off the hook and take the blame, saying that she was too ill to participate. But Mrs. Skeel and Mrs. Smith both pointed out her as the driver of the car, a Chevy mm. Coupe. Plus, her fingerprints were on the same soup can as Mrs. Skeel. <laughs> but that's sloppy police work because it's her can. Of course, her fingerprints are going to be on it. <laughs> Luella Hammer tried to plead insanity. And from many reports of her behavior in the courtroom, she seemed mentally ill. Like mm. she was raising her hands above her head. She was just cackling mm. at some things. Or was she? Or was she? 
Uh, she was, uh, but they didn't fly in the courtroom. She was, she, the insanity plea did not go over. She was seen as sane. E.H. Doran was sentenced to 10 years to life. I don't know how much time he served. She was sent to St. Quentin for a similar sentence, but later was moved to the Mendocino State Hospital for mm, the insane. That sounds delicious. She lived until 1990 and she was in, uh, hospitalized for the rest of her life. Oh, she was alive when we were alive. Yeah. Wow. Two years after her abduction. Oh, well, not me. Maybe you were alive. I was born in like 2020. <laughs> it's terrifying meeting people who were born in 2002. Uh, and they're like adults who talk to me. They're not like little kids watching Bluey. They're like, they like drive me <laughs> to work. You, they still say things to me. They keep asking me to tie their shoelaces yeah. and wipe their dirty little butts. What does that mean? Wipe, wipe their stinky caca butts? Is that a TikTok thing? I don't remember that from the 90s. <laughs> and two years after his wife's abduction, Mr. Skeel died of heart disease. And that's the end of the story. You know, I okay, I have a recommendation for this was originally a kidnappings episode. I want to recategorize this as the world's worst kidnappers episode. Okay. That's I think that is a better fit for the story I'm about to tell you. Please tell me. This one, I actually did not know this had happened. You are the one who recommended it to me. And I had no idea. And the only reason you recommended it to me is because part of it happened in the valley. Yeah. Yeah. And you knew I'd like that. You I knew. I knew I know this my was guy. A honey trap. <laughs> <laughs> I know how to trick my guy. So this story is so funny. <laughs> like it's both of our things. Nobody's killed. Yeah. So we can laugh. So we can laugh about it. Let's laugh about it. There's just deep-seated trauma. (laughs) But it is like a true comedy of errors. Like there are so many funny things. And you don't, so you don't know too much about this. No, I I remember Dana Gould talked about it in one of his middle segments. But I I, I mostly just remember the headline that the, the person that got kidnapped got kidnapped person that got kidnapped got kidnapped yes i'm not gonna say who got kidnapped but oh, what i remember oh, I, is I, I, thought, I thought you were saying the kidnapper got kidnapped and i was like wait is there a whole other part to this but story? who is kidding the napper <laughs> then who took a nap on my kid <laughs> okay so let's just let's get into it okay. there's no better way to explain it than by s- explaining it but yeah frank sinatra had a lot of classic hits but if there were two that could be subtitles to the story of the kidnapping of his son, they would be strangers in the night do something stupid. <laughs> so I'm here to talk about the infamous kidnapping of Frank Sinatra Jr. Little baby. Yeah, Frank Sinatra. I'm like Frank. I'm like my dad, but three feet tall and I'm 27 years old. Where's my bottle, Nancy? That could be either of Cookies them. Cookies are for a closer. <laughs> Both Frank Sinatra Jr. and Sr. could have said, where's my bottle, Nancy? And they could be talking to mom, daughter, who knows? But really, cookies are for closers. So if you could bring the cookies back over here, I'm about to close this. I'm about to close this shop up. So we start our story with two people. First, the man whose music we've grown up listening to in Ocean's Eleven movies, son, (laughs) Frank Sinatra Junior. Junior, the baby. Born January 10th, 1944. It was almost 100 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, since we t- since the last story, it's been 11 years. years. That's how long it takes Greg to tell a story. <laughs> Even though he talks at rapid pace because his heart is, is always flooping or whatever but it's, the word is. Uh, blo- blooping, Blooping, Greg. idiot. Did you even go to pre-med? <laughs> Did you go to pre-med? Uh, <laughs> Did you eat, remember eat pre-med today? <laughs> you, but you, you tell the story so fast that it's like Superman going around the world and yeah. suddenly it's 1944. <laughs> Hitler's thriving. <laughs> so January 10th, 1944, the son of Nancy Barbato and that Frank Sinatra Born into greatness and unimaginable wealth, he decided when he became an adult, I'm going to try singing the exact same type of music my dad did. That's going to go perfect for me and Jacob Dylan. 
they should have like a traveling Wilburys, yeah. but it's all this. It's Sean Lennon, yeah. Julian Lennon, mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra Jr., Jacob Dylan, and uh, let's just say the guy from ELO Sun. Why not? One of the Beatles kids is probably doing <laughs> Danny it. Danny Harrison. Oh, I forgot about the Julians too. Uh, sorry, the Jul- the Lennons. Sorry. I already said that the Lennons were the no, first. No, no, I'm said. telling you, I, I I called for a Beatles son. I forgot that you picked two. You did well. It's because you've never recognized John as one of them, <laughs> and that's why you shot him. And also the guy from Imagine Dragons, just because he might as well be. Yep. What else is he doing? So that's and that's the traveling Wilbur. <laughs> also, his sister, you might know Frank Sinatra mm-hmm. Jr., you know his sister Nancy Sinatra, singer of these boots are made for walking. They are made for walking. <laughs> They're nothing else our boots made for. Literally just that. So the second main character here is a man named Barry Worthington Keenan. He was a little older than little Frankie Jr. being born in 1940. And while maybe not being born into greatness, he was still born into pretty great wealth. Okay. That's why he went to University High School in Brentwood, along with the kids of many celebrities that we'll get into soon. But one of those was Nancy Sinatra. Okay. Keenan made his own name for himself when he graduated from UCLA and became the youngest member of the Los Angeles Stock Exchange at age 21 and soon was making a living doing everyone's favorite line of work in LA, real estate development. Oh, what a young career path that is. We all had our phase when we did real estate development. And our parents kept saying, no, please go into writing. Yeah, Don't you want to be a muralist? Don't you want to work in glass art? Listen, listen, son, you need something to fall back on. And I think real estate's a fallback plan. And I think doing the voice of SpongeBob is something you should really consider. <laughs> Have you tried improv? Gary Keene is going to die. Is that his name? <laughs> Gary Keene? I'm thinking of Barry Keenan. What's the guy who's name who did SpongeBob? Oh, um, Tim Tom, Tom Kenny. Kenny. Tom right. Kenny. Jesus Christ! I almost um, my brain almost flooped. <laughs> Blue blooped. My God, you didn't go study your pre med, okay? <laughs> uh, speaking of the love month, uh, you ever had pre med? You ever fapped to a pre med? Blue. <laughs> so Keenan was on the fast track in life and he did it his way. <laughs> that was until he did I, it his dad's way. <laughs> he did it his way. Junior. <laughs> I still do it my way. I do it my dad's way. <laughs> so that was until 1961. He was driving through Westwood. As long as Kennedy stays alive forever, I'm going to be doing A-OK. You know, sometimes we make jokes on this show that then come true. So put a pin in that. So he was driving through Westwood. Don't nobody laugh at that (laughs) just yet. He was driving through Westwood with his fiance when a dog ran. And that dog, John F. Kennedy. uh, He he ran. (laughs) And what a dog. (laughs) This dog ran into the street in front of his car. So he swerves to avoid it and loses control of of the car, sideswipes a bunch of parked cars and then slams into a wall. He injured his back so badly that it left him in chronic pain for the rest of his life, so severe that he got addicted to painkillers and tranquilizers, and the addiction became so bad that it drove him into bankruptcy. Okay. So this is Barry Keenan. Meanwhile... It'd be like that. Only in Westwood. Only in Westwood, yeah. Another Westwood story. (laughs) Meanwhile, his dad had also lost a ton of money at the same time, and his mom, his parents were divorced, but his mom then attempted to take her own life because of all these issues, so the entire family was at rock bottom. Yeah. But rock bottom can always get rocker. Rock bottom has a basement. (laughs) You want to rock? Bottom. Bottom. (laughs) How rock bottom is rock bottom? (laughs) Rock rock bottom. bottom. (laughs) Uh, So Keenan saw the solution to all of these problems, and it was simple. Money. (laughs) 
Get it. Have some. Yeah. If he had money, again, he could solve not only his own problems, but his parents' problems as sure. well. As money does. It solves all the all, all the problems. In especially life. mental health problems. Money. <laughs> so did and it, the pursuit of it, which is <laughs> genuine and good. <laughs> which is in the Constitution. Yeah. And it's also what I want. <laughs> Frank Sinatra said that. <laughs> so don't pay attention to the fact that he had a serious addiction problem and was, and was later diagnosed as having schizophrenia. Huh? No. Huh? Money's the answer. Yeah. But how was he Why going? Why take medication when I can get money? Why take medication when I can roll these $100 bills into pill size and swallow <laughs> them? So Money is the medication America takes. Go ahead. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. We don't have health care. We have money. We have money. And everyone has a lot of it. <laughs> but how was he going to get enough money to solve problems this big? The answer came to him through his car radio. And you might be inclined to think, oh, Daniel was like giving a funny joke. He heard a Frank Sinatra song and thought, bingo. No, he heard the voice of God on the radio. Again, this guy had schizophrenia, schizophrenia. undiagnosed schizophrenia. He heard the voice of God on the radio and God told him he needs to kidnap the child of a famous person and hold them for ransom. This is what God told him. I think that was part of Casey Kasem's show. To Charles Lindbergh's house. <laughs> Again. <laughs> He's dead. Nobody suspected it twice. Even the baby's dead. <laughs> Yeah, I kidnapped the ladder this time. I took his plane. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to kidnap Amelia Earhart's baby. Oh, oh no. Uh, she got kidnapped by the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> so he wasn't going to hurt anybody. He was simply going to take the ransom money, invest it. Then once he made the money back, he's going to repay whatever celebrity whose child he abducted when he was back on it's his It's a feet. victimless crime. <laughs> so it was a simple plan. The only question left was who should he kidnap? Like I said, Keenan went to Nepo Baby High, so he was aware of the children of a lot of famous people and also people who would go on to be famous. He mm -hmm. went to school with Ryan O'Neill and <laughs> James Brolin. Wow. His best friend was our old subject of an Ellie Meekly episode, Dean Torrance of Jan and Dean wow. or Dan and Jean. We're not really sure stuff. <laughs> so that was his best. Friend. He's uh, weirdly, this was not the one who got into the car crash at the Beverly, oh, Beverly Hills the or again, Bermuda Triangle. Right. So this guy had two close friends who got in horrific car crashes. Jeez. Suspicious. If he waited around, he could have taken Josh Brolin. Go ahead. <laughs> or Tatum O'Neill. Either one of those are worth money. Ask me. Just uh, hang around that high school for another 40 years. Yeah. And... <laughs> so he, he thought maybe Bob Hope's son would be the right target here. But with all the USO stuff that Bob Hope did, he felt it was un-American to kidnap Bob Hope's son. So, so he felt no. That's a war crime. He thought maybe Bing Crosby's son, who I assume is named Bong, <laughs> but that didn't feel right either. But then it dawned on him. His old pal, Nancy Sinatra, but not her because she was a woman. And also they kind of knew each other. So that couldn't work. Yeah. He was very chivalrous. He would never kidnap a woman. This guy already is an upstanding character. <laughs> he had been to the Sinatra house a few times in high school and because they were, you know, kind of yeah. friends. And he had actually met Big Frank a few times, which he insisted he called him. Yeah. It would have to be her little brother, Frank. Junior. Junior the baby. On top of that, he had noticed that while Frank Sr. was very loving and doting on Nancy, he was kind of distant to his son. Mm -hmm. So in Keenan's mind, not only would this get him the money he needed to fix his and his parents' lives, this experience would be so harrowing to the Sinatras that it would bring them closer together and fix all their problems. They're going to thank me. It was basically a crime to not kidnap Frank Sinatra Jr., this is very Homer Simpson logic. <laughs> it's Homer Simpson addicted to horse tranquilizers. <laughs> 
besides Frank Sinatra was tough. His this was his his justification. He was tough and always got everything he wanted. So he'd be able to handle the brief emotional torment of having his son kidnapped. It's this, just brief torment. If he just gives me the money, I won't chop his head off. It's just a window into hell. You don't jump through the window. It's just a window. You look through you it. It's a peephole to hell. It's a peephole to hell. So his mind was made up. He was going to kidnap Frank Sinatra Jr., ransom his dad, invest the money in the stock market, make millions, and then pay back every cent to the Sinatras. The stock market, the most sure game in the business. <laughs> the stock market of the 60s. You know, it's we'll get to it later, but like the one thing he was always right about was that he could make a lot of money in the stock market. Pretty funny. The radio told me, um, <laughs> put it all on Mr. Pibb. Put it all on John Kennedy's life. <laughs> You're going to want to invest in black and white television. <laughs> <laughs> Book depositories. <laughs> Put all your money now in Star Wars not being made. <laughs> <laughs> but this wasn't going to be some smashing grad kidnapping. Keenan was determined to do this thing right. So he did what all future criminals do. He went to the public library. <laughs> And they'll defend you. Those librarians will defend you tooth and nail for your ability to look up how to kidnap someone. It's like Quasimodo running into the cathedral. (laughs) He studied kidnapping cases going all the way back to the Bible. And and who was kidnapped? I guess uh, was Joseph. Was he kidnapped and like thrown in a well? Maybe you are your brother's keeper. No, I don't know where he is. (laughs) Just follow the note. I'm my brother's kidnapper. Just follow the tablet. Who was who was kidnapped? And I'm 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 sure this happened. But who is? uh, What am I I asking you? (laughs) The pagan, pious Buddhist Greg. What does he know about the Bible? I know the the Jews kidnapped dinosaur bones. Well, yeah, that's how we power the lasers. (laughs) So he was studying all these old kidnapping cases and dissecting what went wrong. I'm not going to do that. He read J. Edgar Hoover's writings on crime and criminals, but he realized he couldn't do this alone. He had to get J. Edgar Hoover involved. Uh, (laughs) He had to get the best and brightest in on this. Cue, once again, the ocean's whatever music. Mm. It's just Frank Sinatra music. Yeah. The best is yet. (laughs) First, he went to his old high school classmate, Joe Amsler, a former Navy man and current aspiring boxer and abalone diver. Ooh, I like all... I I wish I could have been any three of those things. Dream. He's a triple threat, aspiring boxer, abalone diver, and kidnapper. Um, Where are you keeping him? Is he single? Is there a Mrs. Kidnapper? Is there a Mrs. Abalone? <laughs> Joe Amsler, he listened to Keenan's plan and felt, this is insane, but he was recently married and needed money, and Keenan was offering him $100 a week to be a part of this plan that, in truth, he didn't think was actually going to happen. So he said, yeah, all right, okay. I'll, be, I'll, I'll go along with this. Sure. Give me the check. But these two early 20s nobodies weren't enough to get the job done. Keenan knew they needed someone who had experience, someone who is intimidating, someone who could sound tough enough on the phone to make even Frank Sinatra listen, somebody who scared him personally. And that was Sammy Davis Jr. Now go ahead. (laughs) Jerry Lewis. Johnny Cash. (laughs) Frank Sinatra's mortal enemy. (laughs) So he went to John Irwin, his mom's old boyfriend. You're kidding. Irwin was 42 years old, also a Navy vet, but this time from World War II one. And just like Amsler, he needed the $100 a week Keenan was offering. And just like Amsler, felt the plan was insane and was never actually going to happen, but he needed that money. May I ask a question? Yeah. Is the $100 payment coming from the kidnapping money? This is upfront money. But but that's but not investment money. I will get to where this money is coming from Okay, right after this. <laughs> right, it's commercial from God. You ever had bloops on your heart? <laughs> Hi, I'm God. <laughs> 
I'm giving you a heart attack. Did you find out too late that your boots weren't for walking? We're, we're putting a class action lawsuit Lost together. Nancy Sinatra. <laughs> Have you ever walked like an Egyptian and it, and it destroyed your ankles? And a protest group said that their costume isn't a culture. No, you can sue them now. So now the team was set, but Keenan, as we, and, and now we're back. <laughs> Keenan needed money to get his money making scheme in motion. So he went to his best friend who was positively rolling in cash at the time, Dean of Jan and Dean or Dan and Jean. As we were called, Jan and Dean were at the height of their fame in the early 60s, but Dean was still insisting on getting his degree at USC. So when Keenan called him with a business proposition, he agreed to meet him at the statue of Tommy the Trojan on the <laughs> USC campus between classes as he's like shoveling a egg salad sandwich in his mouth. Like, hey, you want to kidnap who? Huh? Yeah, what? Huh? So Keenan brought with him a literal binder that outlined his plan. Like he was, he came prepared like asking, you know, like on Shark Tank. <laughs> Hi, Sharks. Hi, Jan or Dean, whichever one you are. So, you know Frank Sinatra. (laughs) (laughs) We all love My Way. We all love uh, Strangers of the Night. (laughs) And Mr. Wonderful's there like, "Uh uh-huh, okay. Picture this. Old Blue Eyes Jr. (laughs) Picture this. The junior chairman of the board. (laughs) So, Keenan brought with him a binder that outlined his plan to, again, kidnap Frank Sinatra Jr. and hold him ransom, Mm -hmm. invest the money, make millions, and then pay the ransom seed money back to American singing legend Frank Sinatra. Mm -hmm. He even had a plan for if Sinatra refused to be repaid the ransom money, he would donate it to the charity of Sinatra's choice. That's cute. That's what he was going to do. So I wonder if when he opened the binder, he had like a tape recorder to play Frank Sinatra music during it to kind of like give it a mood, like an ambiance. Yeah. <laughs> he gave him a little shot of uh, Jack Daniels. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you get to page three, you're going to want to take that shot. Imagine you're at the Golden Nugget right now. <laughs> so at the end of his pitch, he asked Dean for $5,000. Okay. Dean had listened to the whole thing calmly and saw, oh, my friend has lost his mind. (laughs) He knew he had fallen on hard times, but he assumed that this was some weird fantasy of his that he would never follow through with. And it was all just some elaborate way of his friend asking for money without having to say, hey, times are tough. I need some money. So he thought this was all just a ruse, which is why being his friend, and again, because he did not believe this was going to happen, he gave Keenan $500 to help him get his life back together. Very generous. And with that $500, he set about doing exactly what nobody thought he'd actually do kidnapping Frank Sinatra Jr. My dad bought a record of Surf City and that's what the money was used for. So if you've ever listened to the little old lady from Pasadena, (laughs) you're complicit. The little old lady from Pasadena is making an appearance later. (laughs) So back to the Sinatra side of the story. The year was 1963. That's when this is happening. And Sinatra Jr. is 19 years old and was just starting his career, his stellar career as a singer. We all know it. We all know the the timeline of Frank Sinatra Jr.'s career. Oh, you remember the first place you were when you heard his hit song, My Daddy is Frank Sinatra, uh, club remix? St. Strangers in the Night Jr. <laughs> so, Nepo Baby to the Max, his dad had gotten him with the fake legacy version of the Tommy Dorsey band that was going around, and he was performing the gig every young crooner dreams of, the Arizona State Fair in Phoenix. By the way, may I just mention... That you know Tommy Dorsey personally? I don't want to... We should kidnap Tommy Dorsey Jr. Um, <laughs> playing Tommy Dorsey Big Band in 1963. It's not going to go well. It's none of this. Yeah, for a 19, not even just like yeah, a 19 year old. 19 year old when the Beatles are about to come to America. They're about to blow the world up. 
and then f- soon followed by Bob Dylan and the entire hippie freak out psychedelic movement. And you're like, what's Tommy Dorsey up to? Like, you're not going to, this isn't a, this isn't a good plan for you. Now, I know you all like hearing about Norwegian wood, but have you ever heard of Jeepers Peepers? <laughs> I know you're all losing your minds on LSD right now, <laughs> but I got a little stormy weather of my own going on. <laughs> but did you know that even the birds do it? <laughs> um, so Keenan, of course, knew the dates of this tour he was on. So he brought Amsler to Phoenix mm-hmm. with him with the intention of grabbing Frank Sinatra Jr. Okay. at some point. But they either screwed it up or they chickened out. I read both of them. So it doesn't happen in Phoenix. Okay. Luckily. Sinatra Jr. was coming right to their hometown to perform so they wouldn't even have to travel. Wow. He was going to be performing right here at the Ambassador Hotel, and this was it. It wouldn't get any easier for them already being in town. They'd nab him after the show, and that would be that. Okay. Absolutely nothing would derail their plan on this. One of the least notable days in U.S. history, November 22nd, 1963. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. At the Ambassador Hotel. <laughs> it's so strange, the the synchronicity of what... There's like cosmic failure in this story. It's it. That's why it's so funny. It's <laughs> it, like the whole universe was trying to protect Frank Sinatra Jr. So if you haven't caught on, November 22nd... You still got kidnapped. November 22nd, 1963. <laughs> in the funniest way imaginable, by the way. So November 22nd, 1963, if you haven't caught on, John F. Kennedy was shot that day. Mm-hmm. Not only was the show canceled, but Keenan and everyone else in the country was so rattled that he called off any plans for kidnapping Frank Sinatra Jr. But just because the president was killed doesn't mean everyone's money problems are over. Yeah. And it's not like everyone got a check in the mail because the president was <laughs> shot in the head by a Secret Service agent. Two $400 checks spread out <laughs> over eight months. This will get you through the the, 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 the COVID. Kennedy access. Yeah. The Kennedy COVID assassination. The Kennedy flu, which is what your brains <laughs> blow out of your head. That's what that's what you get in Dallas. <laughs> There's this new disease coming out of Dealey Plaza. So it's not a twist. <laughs> so after a few days, Keenan started to feel like I still need the money. Yeah. He needed to get his plan going again. And now there was a ticking clock because Frank Sinatra Jr. was about to take his tour to Europe and there was only one stop left in America before he went away. Okay. Lake Tahoe. Oh boy. But to do this, he needed more money. So it was back to Dean, who reluctantly gave him another $500. But he mistakenly went to the Beach Boys. He's talking to Brian Wilson. (laughs) I already got Manson on my couch. I can't do another crazy person. Yeah. Meanwhile, Brian Wilson is is pouring money into redeveloping Spawn Ranch. I got the sandbox in my in my living room to deal with. So he gave him another $500 to do this. But meanwhile, Amsler and Irwin were under the impression that the plan was off and weren't really interested oh in restarting it. Yeah. Irwin, he was able to convince, as he later claimed in court, he said he wanted to do it just to make sure Keenan didn't do anything stupid. He wanted to keep an eye on because he still felt fatherly affection for when he was yeah. banging around with his mom. But Amsler, oh, it's the love month, I can say that. <laughs> but Amsler was tougher to crack. So Keenan tricked Amsler to go up with him to Tahoe by telling him there's a lot of construction jobs up there that we can make some money on. Constructing kidnapping. <laughs> Constructing this gun in my pocket. <laughs> so Amsler said, fine, let's go. But when they got there, he saw big letters on the marquee of the Harris Club Lodge, Frank Sinatra Jr. And he was like, oh, 
Oh, God. God damn it. <laughs> Why did I fall Son for this one? B word. But after giving him a ton of beer and pills, Keenan somehow managed to convince him to help him again. The old Courage cocktail. <laughs> beer and the a Sinatra p- special. <laughs> <laughs> These guys really had a lot in common. <laughs> uh, so Keenan started stalking Junior for days. He watched his show. He watched where he went after the show. He Brad Pitt and Ocean Eleven did. Mm-hmm. Then it really became double crunch time because not only was his residency ending in Lake Tahoe, but they ran out of money to pay their hotel bill. So they needed to do this now because they can't even check out of the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> and now was December 8th, 1963. John F. Kennedy had miraculously come <laughs> back to life. Guys, I'm Okay. But somehow, Jack Ruby also came. Uh, <laughs> B. Johnson was feeling a little itchy that day. <laughs> and so began one of the most ridiculous comedy of errors I've ever read about. December 8th, 1963, 9.30 p.m. Keenan and Amsler parked their Chevy behind the levee, <laughs> behind the hotel attached to Harrah's that Junior was staying at. They walk up the back stairs towards his room, both armed. They both have guns. Yeah. Keenan's gun had one bullet. Amsler's had no bullets in it. So Keenan was also holding a box of pine cones. <laughs> that was his prop to make them think he's just delivering something. You know, a you bunch know, of pine, pine cones. Because <laughs> I'm a four-year-old kid who was left in the park too long. These are going to be worth something someday. See how big this one is? Yeah, this is really valuable <laughs> on the playground. You're going to want to put this in a bag. So all the way up to the room, Amsler's trying to talk Keenan out of doing this, but okay. he won't hear it. So now is the moment of truth, and Keenan pulled the trigger, but not literally. No. He knocked on the door of the hotel room, and Sinatra Jr.'s voice said, come in. So he walks inside, and there he is, Frank Sinatra Jr., sitting in his underwear eating chicken with his trumpet player, John Foss. Oh. So the underwear he kind of expected, he did not expect another person to be in the room. What Least about of the all, chicken? John Foss. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was going to be eating salmon. <laughs> I didn't prepare for this. We got a bail. He's got a chicken. We got a bail. I would have brought rocks that are shaped like hearts if I had known this. So standing there, Keenan said, I've got a delivery. And Junior said, put it there. Not once saying, hey, I didn't order a box of pine cones. <laughs> So he just says, yeah, 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 put it there. Hey, I'm not a bear. Wait a minute. Something's fishy about this. And it's not this not salmon, I mean. <laughs> so when Keenan puts down the box, he then turns around, pulls out his gun, which gets stuck on his jacket. Oh, my God. So he's like fiddling it, and then he gets it out. So he struggles to get it for He points it at the two guys eating chicken. And he says, don't make any noise, and nobody will get hurt. At this point, Junior and Foss were under the impression that this is a robbery, and Keenan played into that. So he said, uh, give me your wallet. Junior had $20, Foss had nothing. (laughs) This was when Amsler walks into the room and Keenan told him to grab their money, but Amsler was frozen in shock that this was actually happening. So then Keenan points the gun at him to be like, move. And then he remembers, wait. So he does one of those like, "Uh, uh, oh my God. So he's shifting who he's pointing the gun at. And then they were supposed to be calling each other by the names of former presidents. And Amsler immediately comes in and is like, Barry, what's going on? Oh my God. So he Barry at fourteen thirty six Am- Amstead Drive. Oh my god! Well, wait, Barry. I had. I was just trying to remember your social security number. <laughs> it's a really funny number, right? It's like sixty nine, sixty nine, four twenty or something. So he at this point they get Junior dressed and blindfold him. They tied up Foss with medical tape and they grabbed Junior and fled the scene of the crime. And then Keenan remembers, oh, I left the gun in the room. Oh, my God. So he goes back in there. Foss has already gotten himself free. And then he figures, well, he's just going to get free if I tape him up again. So he says, don't move for five minutes. 
And then he runs to the car. Hey, you're forgetting the part where he made him pinky swear. You leave it out. Did you do research? You got the pinky swear down? It was legally binding. <laughs> so then he runs to the car. And so Foss immediately, the second he leaves, calls the police. And by 940, 10 minutes after they were walking into the room, Frank Sinatra Sr. was told by the police his son had been kidnapped. He was in Reno at the time. And he was just he not said, far. well, I got to finish the show. Then I'll check it. I'll look into it. The show must go on, yeah. baby. It's not Nancy, is it? Which Nancy? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, baby. I don't yeah. know what Frank Sinatra said. <laughs> I kind of like that one, baby. That's Charles Bronson, but whatever. I only know stuff from The Simpsons. So Frank Sinatra immediately calls Peter Lawford, who was a Kennedy-in-law, who then called Bobby Kennedy, who despite not only was his... was alive at that time. <laughs> for a little bit longer, was alive. <laughs> despite not only his brother had just been killed, but also was in a big feud with Frank Sinatra, he still he got the FBI involved immediately. Because of... The mob thing. Okay. I don't know why exactly, they, but they hated it. At a certain point, they stopped liking each other. I, it, it was either a wiretapping issue or a mob thing. Right. Possibly both. You can't have one without the yeah. other. Um, Frank Sinatra and Mickey Cohen were friends? I imagine. They sound exactly the same in my head. Uh, I don't know if he was friends with LA mobsters. Oh. Uh, yeah. He didn't go that far. The guy who was raising a family in the Valley? You don't think he knew LA mobsters? Um, Go ahead. <laughs> oh, no. this They was not being raised in the, in the Valley. It was in Westwood. Oh, yeah. You're sorry. Sorry. Where Mickey Cohen lived. Brentwood, actually. So Bobby Kennedy got the FBI on it immediately. And two headquarters were set up at the hotel he was at in Reno and at Junior's mom's house in Bel Air. Nancy Senior. Senior, yeah. Nancy Senior's house. So not long after that, Sinatra got a call from Chicago mob boss Sam Giancana, who Uh offered to help him solve this problem. And he begged him, just let the FBI do this. But the mob almost got involved in this. Imagine these three dunces have angered the mob and the FBI. And Frank Sinatra. And Frank Sinatra. Now you're going to have that other guy from the Rat Pack, nobody who remembers his name on you. The Shemp of the group. <laughs> so before they could even get out of town, a roadblock was put up around Tahoe. Now, at this point, Sinatra Jr. didn't know what was happening. He was still under the impression that this is just a robbery because they kept telling him, you're not being kidnapped. We're just going to take you out of town and then drop you off so nobody's going to come out. It's more of like a relocation, <laughs> like a soft relocation. You're not a kid, are you? <laughs> it's not a kidnapping. You're being abducted. So he was going along with everything just so it wouldn't escalate. Yeah, which is, I imagine, what you're supposed to do. I, I would immediately fall in love with my captors if I, if I got kidnapped. <laughs> you want me to hold the gun or something? You want me to kidnap you now? I can count the, I can count the cash. I'll let that blue thing blow up all over I'll me. rip my own tooth out. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the blue thing for you. But when they saw that there was going to be a police checkpoint up the road, they told Junior to pretend that they were just friends out having fun or else bullets would fly. Okay. Junior went along with this again, and even apparently he gave them the idea, put a sleeping mask on my face and give me whiskey and sleeping pills. It was just an excuse for him. Give me whiskey and sleeping that's pills. That's how I go to bed every night. To make it seem like he was hungover. Okay. So that's what that's what he was going for. They did this, but then they realized the police are going to be looking for a car with three people. So they pulled over and Amsler got out, and the plan was he was going to run into the woods, circle around everything, and then meet them down the road past the checkpoint. Okay. So he still run- not a great plan, but okay. Yeah, it's at least a thought. They had, they had a thought. Well, wait till you hear how it went. He runs out of the car into the snow and disappears into the woods. Right after this happens, a cop drives by on his way to the checkpoint and stops next to their car. He walked over and said, we're looking for three people, but they only saw two people in there. To add insult to injury, didn't even recognize Frank Sinatra Jr., but to be fair, he had a sleeping mask on (laughs) and gave them the all clear to move along and he drove on up the road. 
So they were cleared right there. Then after he left, Amsler comes running back to the car. And they're like, what are you doing here? He had run into the woods straight into a fence post and knocked himself out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, my. I didn't go to army. I went to the Navy. It's different. They don't have signposts in the water. Who would have thought this would on land? So he had hobbled back to them, hoping they were still there, but they couldn't go to the checkpoint with three people, especially because that cop just saw two people in the car. (laughs) So they shoved this dazed man into the trunk of the car and drove up to the checkpoint where they got stopped anyway and were about to be searched before the cop opened the trunk and there's a body in there, but it's not the kidnapped. That's not Frank Sinatra. (laughs) So they close it. Move along. Oh, my God. So we're looking for Frank Sinatra Jr. Here's a photo of Frank Sinatra. (laughs) He looks kind of like this, but younger, I guess. (laughs) So they were about to be searched. But then the cop who had already seen them was like, they're okay. They're already cleared. So they got passed through the checkpoint. So down the 395, they went all the way back to the safe house. And this is why you told me to do this story. The safe house that Keenan had rented under the name of Frank A. Long in beautiful Canoga Park. Canoga CP. At 8143 Mason. They smuggled Junior into the house where Irwin was waiting, and this was where they finally revealed to him, you've been kidnapped, and he flipped out. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, meanwhile... They, Everything was okay up to that point? You have, remember... Dude, you you done been kidnapped. He guzzled a bunch of sleeping pills and whiskey, so he was he had a great time going back to <laughs> the best, trip, best car ride he's ever had. <laughs> meanwhile, this had all happened so quickly that Keenan hadn't had the time to remove the evidence from where they were staying in Tahoe, nor had the money to pay his hotel bill. So they skipped on the bill. Well, which would have aroused suspicion. So he had to drive back up there and clean everything up and pay. But that, of course, meant one more trip to Dean Torrance. Oh, my God. Who pieced together... Oh, God, he actually did it, and now I'm an accomplice. Oh, my God. But out of pure shock, he gave him another $500, and off Keenan went back to Taco. Taco. I'm also (laughs) very hungry. You want to pause? I'm also very hungry. Go ahead. So he went to Lake Taco, and for good measure to avoid suspicion, he also went skiing while he was there before heading back. I'm sure it was a wonderful trip, and he was super calm. He had a ton of of fun. (laughs) So now over a day has passed, and Frank Sinatra Prime still had no idea what had happened to his son. Part of this was because Junior had refused to give them his dad's number because he was furious. Like, I'm not going to help you do anything after I helped you get down here. But they managed to figure out the hotel Sinatra Sr. was based in in Reno. And Irwin called and told him he had Frank Sinatra Jr. and wanted to speak to Frank Sinatra. They couldn't say much because they knew the call was being monitored by the FBI, or they assumed. So he gave Sinatra the address of a gas station in Reno. This is the cherry on the top of this story. He gave the address of a gas station in Reno whose payphone they had looked up the number of in the library. And given they were staying in where they were staying, I'm assuming they went to the Canoga Park Library to look this up. And so they told Sinatra, be at this place in 15 minutes and you'll be able to talk to your boy. And then he hung up on them. Here's the problem. (laughs) Everything had been going so smoothly up to this. They had gotten away with so much. They had stumbled like all of these Nepo babies just stumbling into success somehow. The problem was the gas station they had looked up was actually in Carson City, which was 40 minutes from Sinatra's hotel in Reno. And he said, be there in 15 minutes. So Sinatra starts speeding towards this gas station. 15 minutes go by and the phone rings at this gas station. The guy who works there answers it. And Irwin says, is Frank Sinatra there? And the guy's (laughs) like, what? (laughs) And he hangs up a few minutes later. Is D. Martin there? (laughs) 
How about Sammy Davis Jr.? <laughs> so a few minutes later, Irwin calls again and says, is Frank Sinatra there? And the guy's like, haha, but I'm busy. Stop calling here. <laughs> a few minutes later, Irwin calls again. He answers the phone. Is Frank Sinatra there? And the guy says, listen, pal, <laughs> Mr. Sinatra is not in the habit of taking his calls at the <laughs> Chevron, Chevron station. station. And he hangs up. A minute later, a car speeds into the gas station. Oh. Frank Sinatra <laughs> comes charging inside and says to the guy, I'm Frank Sinatra. Have I had any calls? <laughs> So, <laughs> oh no, this isn't a gas station. This is a private residence. I'm sorry, sir. Big fan. Uh, no. I thought Frank Sinatra was the name of a refrigerator brand. <laughs> I thought it was a canned tobacco or whatever. <laughs> so then the phone rings again and Sinatra grabs the phone. It's Irwin, of course. Sinatra says, what do you want? Money? And he says, yeah, we want money. Sinatra says, I'll give you a million dollars. Irwin says, no, we just want, <laughs> we don't want that. That's okay. We'll tell you how much we need. We'll call back here tomorrow and let you know everything. Then he put Junior on the phone and Senior says, are you okay? And Junior says, yeah, click. That's all that they got to say to each other. Tell me now I drove all the way over here. <laughs> this guy's going to rate the prices tomorrow. Come on. Make this worth my money. Yeah. So the next day, they call back at the station and tell Sinatra they want $240,000, which what? today is about $2.4 million. Oh. But if Frank Sinatra's offering you, he didn't, They he refused a million dollars. Because again, he was trying to be honorable about this and taking just what he needed. So he, he figured, I just need $240,000. Why not 250 now? Round up. Why well, not 230 if you're being Greg, generous? You don't want to get greedy. Oh my God. So the FBI, but you still need enough. Oh my God. So the FBI had told Sinatra to agree to any amount. So he did. Their reasoning was that they figured, based on what they knew, that this was done by amateurs. This okay. much they figured. So they were confident that they could trace all the money once they handed it over, mm -hmm. arrest the culprits, recover all the money. Sinatra agreed, and Irwin told him to tell an FBI courier that he will be given a series of instructions following a series of payphones south towards Los Angeles of what to do with the money. Okay. The courier was to go by the code name Patrick Henry, and he was to call Irwin John Adams. This went through a string of seven payphones between Carson City and LA, one of which was at a payphone at Camden and Santa Monica in Beverly Hills right by Shake Shack. Oh, cool. <laughs> this is almost clever. It sounds like it could be clever. I know that they're going to bung it up, but at this point, the seven payphones thing and the names, it's it seems like the one clever part of well, everything. The, they finally got the older guy involved who's like kind of handling the situation. Okay. So some of these calls seem to have been taken by Sinatra himself. It wasn't really clear which ones of these. Yeah. But finally, they were told to make the drop of cash between two parked school buses at a Texaco station on Sepulveda at Kashmir, right by the Veterans Cemetery in the early morning hours of December 11th. Okay. So that's what, that was the location I wanted to find out because people kept saying it was in Sepulveda, which is what Van Nuys is now called. And then people were like, it was on Sunday. Sunset Boulevard. Weird. But no, it was on Sepulveda near Sunset Boulevard. Got it. Okay. So meanwhile, Sinatra had easily come up with two. He had that in his pocket, probably $240,000 in cash. And the FBI was busy at work photographing 12,400 bills, all the money and putting them into a 23 pound package. So in the end, it was actually only $239,985 because three of the $5 bills got ruined in the microfilm scanning process. But who's counting? Certainly not the... Not, who's counting? Not these guys. Money? Not the D-list criminals that yeah. we're dealing with here. So Keenan and Amsler both drove to the drop-off spot and circled around and saw the sack of money between the two buses. So Amsler gets out of the car to get it while Keenan circled around. But Amsler noticed a lot of people around that were clearly undercover FBI agents, and he freaked out and runs away. So then, <laughs> so then Keenan circles back 
and he saw no Amsler, but the money was still there. So he just runs out and grabs it and heads back to Canoga Park. Okay. Meanwhile, back in Canoga Park, Irwin was in charge of Junior, but he panicked also and decided to let Junior go, even uh-huh. though he was supposed to wait until they got back with the money. So he shoved him into his car and drove him to what they said was an overpass on the 405, but it seems like it was somewhere maybe kind of near the skirball and dropped Junior off and sped away. So this was the prearranged drop point Sinatra had requested, but apparently Junior was so freaked out that they were going to come back and get him. So he he hid in the bushes yeah. and eventually Sinatra's car, his dad drives by and can't find him. So so eventually he figures it's safe and he gets out and he just starts walking towards his mom's house in Bel Air oh and around God, at around Junior. 3 a.m. Some security patrols found him on Roscomare Road. And once it was clear who he was, they took him to Nancy's house. And as if he hadn't already been through enough, they shoved him into the trunk of their car so that the press outside the oh house wouldn't see him. God. Weirdly, that was the first time he was shoved in the trunk. <laughs> I know. He had gotten such nice treatment yeah. up until this point. They gave this him is an outrage. And pills. They let him go early. Where's my drink? Yeah. So when he got inside, he was reunited with his mom and dad in a beautiful reunion where I imagine Frank Sinatra didn't shed a single tear. Yeah. Meanwhile, get to work. The lawn needs mowing. You owe me $240,000. <laughs> so when Keenan got back to the house, nobody was there. So he correctly sent something had gone wrong. So he scrubbed the whole place for fingerprints and burned evidence and got out of there. According to him, he was a block ahead of police swarming wow. the house. But I don't know if that's actually true. All they found inside when the police did eventually get to this place was a gun and some fake mustaches. <laughs> Leftover from your kidnapping. Remind me how they knew the address. If his version of the story is true, that they did go there right away, I don't really know unless maybe Sinatra Sr. Because Sinatra Jr. was blindfolded most of the time. Yeah. But he maybe he got a general sense because he couldn't ID any of the people. Yeah. But he maybe got a general sense of where he was. Sure. If not, there is a definite way coming soon okay. of where they got the address from. Okay. So with no way to ID them, they got away with like they did. Yeah. They got away with this. It worked almost according to plan. And they got all the money minus $15 and the Sinatra Until Janadine put a song out the next <laughs> summer. No, go ahead. Sorry. All about this. <laughs> the summer that I funded a kidnapping. <laughs> um, Accidentally. <laughs> Did make it on the charts. <laughs> the Sinatra family was reunited. It mm-hmm. all ended up exactly how Keenan had wanted wow. it. Like every, it, you know, it worked. Like everything he wanted to happen kind of happened. You can kind of, with confidence, bulldoze through all of the problems that the That's world what I'm saying. throws at if you. If you are a Nepo, but if you have like the confidence Nepo, of being born into that sort of money, like yeah. you can fail your way to kidnapping Frank Sinatra <laughs> Jr. successfully. <laughs> But like he, they made it work somehow, like so many failure after failure and it worked. So Keenan met back up with Amsler and Irwin at a friend's house at 10709 Northgate in Culver City. They split the cash. Irwin went down to his brother in San Diego, but Amsler and Irwin stayed there for a little bit and did everything you'd expect two 23 year olds to do with it. They spread the money out on the floor and danced on it. Uh They had a money war with it. They played football with it. They lit cigarettes with it. Keenan then bought himself a new car and Amsler bought himself a new motorcycle. Cycle. Oh my God. Keenan used some of it to buy his ex wife some new furniture. 
He then tried to repay Dean Torrance what he had borrowed, but he refused it because he wanted no, no part, part of, of it. Yeah. But now it was the FBI's turn to have some fun on a big pile of money. They started gathering all the evidence that existed and retracing every part of what had happened, according to Little Frankie. And the walls were closing in, but they still couldn't ID who did this. Jesus. Of course, this story was all over the newspapers, maybe on purpose. And reading about what the FBI was doing panicked Irwin down in San Diego at his brother's house. Mm-hmm. His guilt got so bad, he had to tell somebody what he had done. So he's so guilty for not killing the guy. <laughs> Why didn't I go after uh-huh. Bing Crosby's no. son? So he told his brother what he had done. His brother then immediately oh told the police God. that day all three of them were arrested. Oh my God. They would have gotten away for it if his, if Irwin hadn't, if the old man Irwin old man hadn't Irwin. cracked. Jesus. So Irwin in his brother's house, they got him while he was sleeping. Amsler was playing chess at a friend's house in Venice. They got him. Keenan was at his girlfriend's place in La Cañada. They got him. The FBI was able to retrieve every single dollar that was in the ransom, except the money Keenan had used to buy his ex-wife new furniture, to which Sinatra Sr. said, Christ, let her keep the furniture. No! <laughs> So the trial started on February 10th, 1964, and their defense immediately went with the tactic of arguing that this was not a kidnapping at all. Keenan and the boys had been approached by a team associated with the Sinatras who paid them to do this as a publicity stunt to jumpstart Frank Sinatra's career. This was obviously a lie, but the trial dragged on for four weeks. Dean Torrance had to testify in this for his unintentional involvement. And that's how surf music died. Frank Sinatra beat it to death. And, but that's when courtroom music really took off. <laughs> <laughs> These 12 men are angry in Pasadena courthouse. Um, so in the end, the verdicts were as such. All three of them, they got this. Five years for conspiracy to kidnap. Ten years for receiving ransom money. Sixty years oh. for three counts of interstate telephone call demanding ransom. On top of that, Keenan and Amsler got a life sentence for interstate transportation of a kidnapped person. Dean Torrance somehow escaped without any punishment. I would be terrified if I was Dean Torrance. Yep. Uh, for many reasons. Yeah. They all ended up getting psychiatric evaluations in prison and were deemed mentally insane at the time of the kidnapping and had no criminal malice, so their terms were all reduced to 25 years. Keenan was sent to Lompoc Penitentiary, Penitentiary, Penitentiary. uh, where he continued drinking and doing drugs. Mm -hmm. There were also a few attempts on his life made in there by people who thought that if they killed him, they'd get in good with Frank Sinatra. So people were trying to kill him in prison. In the end, Irwin and Amsler ended up serving three and a half years. Keenan was out after four and a half years. Wow. Irwin disappeared after his... Re- That's what I'm saying. Like, these people, all they got was four years in prison. Like, they got, like, nothing for after this. After life sentences and at least, like, a 70-count, something like 75 years pl- to plus, life. Plus, yeah. Plus it, life. It doesn't make... Like, how did they get out of this so scot-free? They were just so good. When you're when you're that good when of a you're criminal, that good of a criminal, uh, they let you do it. So Irwin <laughs> disappeared after his release. Amsler ended up becoming his old high school friend Ryan O'Neill's stunt double slash bodyguard. So like a Brad Pitt, uh, Leonardo so DiCaprio if, situation. If Barry Lyndon falls down, it's actually the guy who kidnapped <laughs> Frank Sinatra Jr. Yeah, think about that. 
So he died in 2006. So that's what happened with Amsler. You'll see him in... Uh, check it, check out yeah. your latest Ryan O'Neill movie. Next time you watch uh, Driver. So Keenan continued the cycle of high highs and low lows that defined his entire life. Yeah. When he got out, his circle of friends raised money for him to get him back on his feet. And his friend, who just never seems to know when to quit, Dean Torrance, leased him a new car oh, to help him get going. God, and told him, just take a drive down dead man's curve <laughs> i've got if westwood doesn't get you try this street in beverly yeah, try this street over here but when he did get back on his feet he actually did what he always said he was going to do he started a building development company called golden west properties he got sober and he became a millionaire wow really he even ended up marrying laura bush's childhood friend so he regularly hung out with george bush jr the unkidnappable George Bush Jr. <laughs> Nobody wanted him. Yeah. So he was hanging out with George W. Bush in the 80s. Relaying the story of the time that he kidnapped Frank Sinatra Jr. You know, one day I wouldn't mind kidnapping Osama bin Laden. <laughs> they were sharing uh, stories about who they wanted to kidnap. You said that someone took an ashtray from your house. I have a similar story. <laughs> so he had it all. Like he, he rose to the top wow. of rich society. Wow. And then in, in 1986, he relapsed and he almost OD'd and he lost $17 million. Oh my God. This was when he went into a 12 step program and got clean for good and made himself a millionaire again. So he did it again. In 1988, he actually actually became... When you have money, money comes to you. Nepo babies. He actually became a consultant for the Commerce Casino in 1988. Okay. But his passion became opening up treatment centers and psychiatric hospitals and shelters for runaway teens and abused women with children. So he's a morally confusing guy who, uh, over the whole span of his life, who also had serious mental health issues. So later in life, he didn't even see what he had done to Frank Sinatra Jr. as being done by him. Like in his mind, it was a completely different person. Wow. It was a sad and actually recent ending for Keenan when in November 2022, he took his own life at the age of 82, seemingly because of a combination of his mental health issues and also the physical pain he was from in his, his from that accident. But while maybe this event didn't have much of a lasting impact on Keenan and all of them, it did for the other guy involved. Dean Torrance. No, it, <laughs> it, it did actually kind of hurt Dean Torrance's career, but oh, uh, there's also another guy. Frank Sinatra Jr. was involved here. Oh, he was involved? <laughs> As uh, Frank Sinatra Sr. would say. It's... <laughs> It's so funny that the story of Frank Sinatra Sr.'s kidnapping or Jr.'s kidnapping, Frank Sinatra Jr. is the least interesting part of the whole story. Like that defines his whole career. So to start, the fake story of him arranging this all, it's a publicity stunt, haunted his reputation forever and yeah. kind of became the biggest part of his career. Oof. Like people just were like, oh yeah, the guy who tried to fake his own kidnapping yeah. to, to become successful. His singing career never really took off, but also being kidnapped can't be an easy thing to get over. No. In 1999, Columbia Pictures had offered Keenan $1.5 million for the movie rights to the story, but Junior sued and won to prevent that from ever happening. Yeah. With Keenan being somewhat of a bigwig, they would see each other around LA at parties and they, they would never speak, but they would nod at each other from across the room of just like, mm, that is insane. Uh, very weird. But something like this affects the whole family. And even if maybe it wasn't something they enjoyed talking about, it clearly had an effect. This is the proof of this to you, of how traumatic something like this could be. Because ha ha ha, we've had, this is all fun and games. Yeah. Someone got kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Do you know what Frank Sinatra Sr. was buried with? No. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> when he was still alive. <laughs> yeah, he was, let me out. <laughs> so he was buried with a bottle of whiskey, cigarettes, a lighter, and 10 dimes. 
when Irwin kept making calls about the ransom, he was calling only on payphones so that they couldn't the calls couldn't be traced. Sinatra was worried he wouldn't have enough coins for the calls when they came in, so he started carrying dimes with him, and this fear became a paranoia that wow. followed him for the rest of his life because from then on he always kept dimes in his pocket in case this ever happened again. Oh my so God. that's why he was buried with ten dimes because of this the trauma of having his Jesus son kidnapped. Christ. But if you don't want to take my word on this story, you can always listen to the podcast that came out about it in 2021, hosted by the only logical choice to tell this story, John Stamos. What? I don't know why, but John Stamos hosted a podcast about this. The other Beach Boy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's... Wow. What a weird, what a weird thing. Yeah. It, it really is the most interesting part of Frank Sinatra Jr.'s life. This poor guy. Yeah, sad, sad poor guy. Story. The cops could not recognize him to save him. That sucks. That's a bad life. <laughs> the the guys who kidnapped you didn't know what they were doing and they got away with it. Yep. They they would and they, they would have gotten, gotten away with they it. would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for the guilty conscience of a 42-year-old man. Don't don't listen to it. <laughs> don't get involved. I've been saying this forever. Don't go into business with your mom's boyfriends. <laughs> Yeah, weird. Weird. Very weird. Two very weird stories. I, I'm glad that this has been rebranded as a world's worst kidnappers episode yeah. of LA Meek. And 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 the kidnap ease the kidnapped returning home safely. Yes. And their careers were never will never were never better. Yeah. The, Mrs. Skeel went on to great success. <laughs> she was torn she's torn with Tommy Dorsey now. <laughs> In heaven. In big band heaven. <laughs> so before we get into our listener question yes. here, we have a pre-listener question plug. <laughs> that good? Did I do it right? Uh, let me plug, plug. <laughs> you know what? Since we're talking about it, how about a pre-show plug for listening to Candy is Dandy? Why not? It's a great podcast. It's the better podcast. <laughs> um, we have so much fun. The three of us, me, you, Beto Sistos. And a bunch of candy. And, a, and the, what we're talking about is the noises we were just making are callbacks from yeah. Candy is Dandy, the hit candy review podcast that Greg and I host that uh, you should listen to if you like listening to us. So this is for Candy is Dandy listeners who also listen to Allie Meekly. I would like to say this. that <laughs> I did not. I did not have sexual relations with, with the green M&M. <laughs> it was the yellow one. I have become. And he liked it. So. I, you should be more traumatized. We, are, we all went through an experience together where oh, we, no. ear, we ate a certain candy. Yeah. That was disgusting. Yes. It was one of the worst nights of my life. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and that I've, episode's coming soon. <laughs> it is. Uh, and I don't look forward to it. I was at the market and I was looking for something sweet and I saw a bag of the good version of this mm -hmm. and I reached for it and my hand started shaking. Yes. And now you are going to be buried with 10 jelly 10 beans. 10 jelly beans in my pocket. We ate bad jelly beans. 10 and strawberry I, jelly beans. I was, I'm so traumatized by some of those tastes that I can't even eat regular. It ruined regular jelly belly jelly beans for me. I can't even eat old bandages anymore. <laughs> but a, a, after we had recorded that, I was afraid to eat anything yeah. because I thought like, is this going to taste like a dirty sauce? Is this going to taste like a stink bug? <laughs> I and I was having stink bud salad, my favorite salad. That was one of the that was our POW camp. That's our POW camp. <laughs> that was my time in Canoga Park. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so listen to Candy is Dandy, the Candy Review podcast, to hear what we're talking about there. Anywhere you get your podcast, if you like us, you're gonna like that. Yeah, for sure. So now it's listener question time, and I wasn't prepped on this. So well, I think this is feet. one that we have talked about recently, and the person who asked this mentioned that. So this is from Danielle Schmidt. Oh, hi, Danielle. So she asks, I am curious about the story behind all the different neon signage slash decorations along CityWalk. The gorilla, which, by the way, his name is King Kong. Uh, he's royalty, please. <laughs> 
He's bow, <laughs> curtsy, and he's king of the gorilla Kong. Yeah. So the gorilla, the crash car, etc. I have heard something about how City Walk was supposed to mimic Los Angeles. I'm wondering if these design choices are related to that. So, Greg, I know your theory, of, and I love your theory of of what the decoration of City Walk is. I don't remember what it is. Oh, well, then I'll claim it. It's my theory. Okay. It's uh, King Kong was drunk driving and, <laughs> That's right. and is trying to flee the scene. <laughs> I'm really funny. Not enough people give me credit. No, 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 no. Certainly my, not my coworkers. That was my idea. <laughs> it, that's incredibly funny of me to say that. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually something of a wit. Um, okay. So, all right. So the theme of Universal City Walk is Greg's wit. <laughs> those uh, those beautiful neon eyes. As, as long as I forget a funny thing I said and I hear it back, I think I'm the funniest man alive. <laughs> as long as it's coming out of Frank Sinatra Jr.'s <laughs> mouth. Well, so I got, according to the official NBC Universal explanation of City Walk, uh-huh. they say it was conceived as a multi-sensory experience designed to spectacularly stimulate the senses and evoke a whimsical environment. If they mess with your equilibrium, they think you'll spend a lot of money. Go ahead. If you see this much neon in one place, you're going to buy novelty socks. Yeah, novelty socks. Yeah. So a whimsical environment reflective of Los Angeles's eclectic landscape, its conceptual architectural design paid homage to the City of Angels through a myriad of innovative, eye-catching three-dimensional sculptures and vibrant neon signs that embodied the essence of Los Angeles and the city's diverse cultural fabric. We're all kinds of, of King, King Kongs. Kongs. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? King Kong ain't got nothing on us. Um, I because this is like a like we've talked about modern art of like I look at it, I don't get it. Someone explained it to me, I say that's the greatest thing I've ever yeah. seen in my life. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm getting from mm-hmm. this explanation. But it is when, the more I think about it, like there's kind of like because there is a car. If you haven't been there, there is a car crashed into a wall above a store. This yeah, the, like above the awning above a store. So maybe that's like the 50s. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the car crash that was the that's 50s. That's the 70s hitting the 50s. That's James Dean. Yeah. <laughs> but there's like just like faces and like yeah. 80s kind of hair. And then King Kong. Like yeah. I, I, we need to document every decoration there and make sense of it. Yeah. This. We'll start a blog. Uh, we'll start a, we'll start a Tumblr blog that should have been done in 2004. <laughs> An investigative podcast hosted by John Stamos. <laughs> hosted by Bob Saget. <laughs> the ghost of Bob yeah. Saget. Oh, we're going to get the guy that the Alanis Morissette <laughs> <laughs> Dave Coulier. Um, it's funny because I city walk <laughs> with Dave Coulier. I never thought that there was a connecting mood or ambience to city walk. I kind of just thought like it's like a mall. Well, I because I had half jokingly always tried to guess like what is the story here? Like what is what is because clearly something. Like, it doesn't make sense to just have a car in the wall and King Kong. Like, King Kong kind of makes sense because it's universal. Yeah. Uh, and he loves hot rods. But, like, it, th- there's got to be a reason for these things. I mean... And it's it's encouraging to at least know there is. Yeah, We sure. don't quite get it, though. It's funny because there's almost an unimplied... Not unimplied. Um, Like, I guess subconscious, unintentional comment on the city because, you know, James M. King wrote that article about like LA has no architecture of her own. It's just like a, a place that has stolen everyone else's architecture and placed it by the beach. It's the same way the city walk has just like, right. I don't know, a car and King Kong and a bunch of neon lights. And we'll, we'll say that there's a, a running theme and a the theme is that we've stolen all this stuff. Well, and also kind of like how people are like, ah, oh, LA is just a series of malls. Yeah. And for this to be the idea of embodying Los Angeles, like, Hey, city walk, yeah. city walk thyself. <laughs> When I was city walking along the sand and there was only one <laughs> pair of King Kong's footprints, 
<laughs> but like maybe it maybe that is the comment that yep. it is a big fake mall. Sure. I don't know. Like this, there, there, I think we could write our we can our, our dissertation. Yeah. yeah, we could write a dissertation on right. this. That's the word. Yeah, I don't know, but it's an interesting question. And if you do, Danielle or anybody else listening, like Neon a lot, make sure to check out the museum and not Neon Art in uh, Glendale. Oh, come on, we're only supposed to be promoting Bayer during oh, this episode. Right. Don't you remember? Don't you remember? We brought Clarendon C. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's I, I next time I'm there, I'm going to document every okay. and I'm there a lot because Great. they have the good IMAX screen there. Oh, yeah, they do. I'm going to document every decoration there is yeah. and we are going to get to the bottom of okay. this. I, I like to help with this. I don't know how <laughs> this is going to be our true detective city walk. <laughs> If you talk to me in high school, I would go there all the time. So if you could find me in high school, tell them to cheer up a little bit. There's nothing to look forward to, but to cheer up a little bit. <laughs> cheer up. Frank Sinatra Jr. is still alive. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's a, a few of the uh, rebranded most embarrassing kidnaps. Yeah. The, the, uh, um, America's funniest kidnappings. <laughs> the, well, for the haunted Hanukkah episodes, we have the crackling fire underneath this. We're going to yeah. have uh, the Benny Hill theme song. <laughs> under, yakety, no, not, not Yakety Sax. What's that song called? Isn't it? Yakety Sax. Yeah, it is Yakety Sax. Yeah, I'm is. thinking of uh, Take Out the Papers and the, the Trash. That's Yakety Yak. Okay, right. Yeah. Wait, who's Yakety Jack then? Is that Frank Sinatra's nickname? Is that Slenderman's real name? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't say the name, Greg. Please don't say if the you name. You say Yakety Jack in the in the bathroom mirror three times. Benny Hill light. shows up yeah. and gropes you. Yeah, he, he gropes he gropes your chest and you run around for like uh, maybe four minutes. I don't know how long. <laughs> Depends Way how many too long. People are in the credits yeah. that week. But yeah, that's uh, for the love month. There's a few of uh, some people's loving relationship with money. Yeah, and getting money the hard way. When he clearly knew how to make money. Like, there's so. Why didn't you just ask Dean Torrance for money to start investing? I don't know why. I don't know. Because the God in the radio didn't tell him to do that. He told him to take the thing. I forgot God didn't tell him. Uh, uh, God didn't say. There's a line, one of my favorite lines in all the film noir comes from Gun Crazy, and two of the hottest people I've ever seen are robbing banks, and they're going to get caught. And the guy says to the girl, all this so we don't have to get a job. And I think, uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, that's all crime in is like, I don't want to fill out a job application. I better rob a series of liquor stores. Hey, I get it. I get it. And if James Brolin is still willing to get kidnapped, I'll split it 50-50. We can, we can blackmail Josh. It's, is he still dating Barbara Streisand? Are they both still alive? I don't remember. I don't know. Is Barbara Streisand even alive? <laughs> I don't want to probably. I, don't, I, haven't checked. I don't keep track on Babs. Babs is her own thing. Well, everybody enjoy your love month. Yeah, um, have a good love month. We will see you uh, soon uh, in the bathtub, later, maybe with some strategically placed bubbles. <laughs> and uh, that's been yet another episode of LA Meekly, brought to you by Janet Dean since 2013, <laughs> funded by Dean Torrance okay. since 2013. Only the soundest, least criminal investments <laughs> does he get involved with. His punishment was having to explain it in a courtroom of field with Frank Sinatra staring at him. And how much did you give him? after? And he explained the plan, plan to you, and then you gave him the money. This guy's number one on the charts. <laughs> <laughs>